Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. The levels, the levels, the levels. One to five. We're in two. Dublin is in two and a bit or two plus uh, or two and a little bit according to most of the papers today. Level two. Here's where we're at. Uh, visitors limited to six from two or three other households. That's different in Dublin where no more than six people from a maximum of one household. Uh, can visit. Uh, but Dublin remains the same as the rest of us, except for the wet pubs. Up to six people can meet indoors, up to 15 outdoors. Up to 50 can attend a wedding uh, or reception, uh, ceremony or reception. You can't attend both. Well, I suppose the same 50 can. Up to 50 people can attend controlled indoor gatherings and pods or groups of up to six for business, training events, conferences, theatres, cinemas and other events. Up to 100 people are permitted in larger venues with social distancing and one-way systems. Guidance to be developed for large purpose-built event facilities. I suppose the three arena, etc. Up to 100 people will be permitted outdoors at the majority of venues and sports training permitted up to 15 people, except for professional teams. Although it doesn't say what they get extra or is taken away from them, I guess they get extra. Sports training, exercise and dance can take place in pods of up to six inside. Okay, so if you're a sports non-professional sports team you can only train in pods of six up to 100 people can watch sports events outdoors and 50 people indoors up to 200 people can attend outdoor stadiums with a minimum capacity of 5,000 up to 50 people can attend religious services and funerals wet pubs can open but with groups limited to six people from no more than three households public transport limited to 50% Capacity. Uh, pictures in the, uh, especially on social media last night, uh, claiming to be from yesterday of a very packed public transport or possibly public private transport taking meat workers to a meat factory. Uh, not uh, observing the 50% rule there for sure, if it was uh, a picture from yesterday. The Irish Daily Star has what a circus. Uh, it has Steo and T. Shock uh, dressed as clowns on the front page. Uh, Steo was saying, so like my test, the rules are clear. We are on level two, except Dublin, which is on level two as well, except for the pubs, unless they overcharge for chicken wings and uh, achoo. Uh, luckily for us, you're always negative, Steo, says T-Shock, and that's on the front of the star. COVID-19 is the uh, stark headline on the Mirror Cabinet put in lockdown as Health Minister tested. Taoiseach is criticised over blueprint confusion. Didn't react too well to it either, did he? The uh, government's living with COVID-19 launch dissolved into chaos yesterday as Health Minister Stephen Donnelly fell ill. You'll wonder what more can befall Michal Martin. The uh, Doyle was briefly suspended and confusion reigned hours after the plan to steer the country through the next six months was announced. Why was somebody who felt unwell allowed to have such implications and repercussions right through the political system, albeit for a short time? Last night, the Cabinet and Acting Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ronan Glynn were told to restrict their movements before it emerged. Mr. Donnelly had tested negative for the coronavirus. He just felt unwell. Further confusion for pubs, says the Echo, and publicans are feeling nervous. Publicans feel they've been left with more questions than answers on their long-awaited reopening. Michael O'Donovan, Cork City Chairman of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, made the comments following the publication of the Government's Resilience and Recovery 2020-2021 plan for living with COVID-19. Mr O'Donovan said publicans need more clarity on issues such as the enforcements of reduced noise levels. Is this for the Gardaí? Or are we supposed to self-regulate, he said. This is the uh, requirement for pubs to turn the volume on the telly down. 
just in case you don't talk too loud and spread the virus. Publicans are feeling a lot of nervousness and there's also a lot of confusion. And confusion and mixed messages is the lot of the headline in the independent COVID-19 chaos as second wave gathers strength. Cabinet faces virus scare as Dublin cases continuing to surge. The government's new plan for living with COVID-19 plunged into chaos amid communication blunders and a virus scare that impacted the entire cabinet. Ministers were forced to restrict their movements while awaiting the outcome of Health Minister Stephen Donnelly's coronavirus test. But they came out very, very quickly that the entire cabinet had to self-isolate. This was picked up by Sky News, and they briefly reported that the Irish Health Minister had contracted the COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, and then they had to issue an apology and a retraction, say, no, 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 he's only being tested for it. And all of this served to cause confusion. Why didn't uh, whatever communication company exists at that very, very top level just say, uh, we are asking the uh, cabinet members to temporarily restrict their movements while one of their uh, members takes a test because they're feeling unwell. But chaos reigned and... Uh, then it all, of course, the Count Corla had to call the Doyle back. Uh, there was, uh, at six o'clock, it was, uh, no, the Doyle will continue, but only junior ministers, no senior ministers. Then, oh, he's okay. We're all coming back in. So Ireland opening slightly too quickly is the headline in the Echo. A Cork public health expert had voice, has voiced concern uh, that Ireland could be reopening society slightly too quickly and says he's particularly worried about the timing of the reopening of wet pubs. Speaking to the Echo, Ivan Perry, Professor of Public Health and Head of the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at UCC, said his initial reaction to the publication of the government's plan, uh, it's too long to call out, Resilience and Recovery 2020-21 Plan for Living with COVID-19, was one of cautious welcome, but that he did have some worries. The examiner says confusion also surrounds covid travel restrictions. Yet more confusion reigns as to where Irish people can travel with or without restrictions following plans to update the so-called green list of countries next week, writes Padraig Hoare. Irish people could be allowed to visit places such as Germany, Iceland and Cyprus next Monday without the need for quarantine on their return before the current green list concept is shelved altogether next month in favour of an EU-wide traffic lights system. You'd need a slide rule and a ready reckoner to get to grips with all of these changing plans and all of these changing restrictions. That plan is expected to be ratified in Luxembourg on the 13th of October at the monthly meeting of the EU's General Affairs Council and we'll see countries designated at green, amber and red according to their instances of COVID-19. You're a little too late on that one, aren't you? Shouldn't that be done three or four months ago? Uh, when the airlines were begging for it. Now it seems clarity is going to come a little bit late. COVID case at Cork School. Jess Casey and the examiner reporting that no students or staff members at a Cork secondary school with almost 1,400 students have been deemed close contacts following a confirmed case of COVID-19 in the school. So there's 1,400 in the school, there's a confirmed case, and none of the 1,400 are close contacts. A public health risk assessment carried out following a confirmed case of the virus at Colosh to Cullum in Ballancolic has found all students can continue to attend school. It's not clear whether the person with COVID-19 is a staff member or a student. I don't know how to get my head around all of this. There's a confirmed case in a school of 1,400 people and you're all grand. A guy in the cabinet feels unwell and everybody runs for the hills. They've stopped testing in in uh, meat plants uh, and still we have confirmed cases in schools where now everyone will be grand. 
Medicine Cabinet is the Sun's front page. All ministers hit by COVID alert. The entire Cabinet were sent home after Stephen Donnelly, the Health Minister, felt unwell yesterday. And the Irish Daily Mail has Dublin in lockdown. Announcement likely by Friday. Mixed messages on Day of Doyle chaos and 357 cases with over 200 in the capital. Dubliners are facing another lockdown by the end of the week as COVID cases in the capital skyrocket. Why didn't they put Dublin in level three yesterday instead of level two and a little bit? It's like Harry Potter going on the uh, platform of the train station. Platform nine and three quarters. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Now, of course, we're starting with Stephen Donnelly testing negative for COVID-19 as the government descends into an incredible shambles. And those are the words uh, of the newspapers today. The government descended into an incredible shambles after the Doyle was hastily recalled last night after the entire cabinet was forced to self-isolate because Health Minister Stephen Donnelly became unwell. Now, hours earlier, TDs were told the business of Parliament was suspended until next Tuesday as the government's living with COVID plan was branded as confusing and chaotic. Uh, Michael Collins is the independent TD uh, for Cork and uh, last night's, he's on line six, I beg your pardon. Michael, good morning. Good morning. No, last night's carry on the Doyle was at the at the very least sloppy. Can you comment on that? Yeah, definitely, Mick. Um, it, it caught us all completely unaware uh, as you uh, and your listeners know this morning. Um, Minister Stephen Nally fell ill after a press conference yesterday. Um, and and um, like everybody is entitled to be sick or whatever, and you know there was a, a COVID test. But uh, what happened in the doll was sensational. I mean, we were all uh, in what, uh, at one stage we were walking towards origin uh, on the day, and I think taxis and the situation there was a motion coming up before us on taxis and climate action and road funding and businesses that have been destroyed there recently in in, in parts of Cork uh, County, and the next minute. Um, uh, the the Cam Cole announced that the doll was suspended because uh, there's a uh, cabinet minister um, ha- is, is is gone for testing uh, for COVID. It was, I think, the very very least. They, 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 what should have happened, of course, was that they should have just closed it down for the evening and made it a uh, kind of a mature decision from there. Now we found out since it, uh, Minister Donnelly didn't have uh, COVID, thankfully. Um, and I mean, as I said, everybody's entitled to be sick, but so the actions were completely wrong with the government and, and, and like incredible chambers is putting it very, very mightily at the moment, the way the government had been acting in this country. And, uh, you know, yesterday was another, it was, was for the, the, the whole world to see uh, what a mess we made of it. And this is very easy. And you said there will go the Sky TV report that the minister had uh, COVID, because that was our assumption as well. I mean, nobody goes to close something on, on a person being ill. Surely be to God, you know, they'd, you know, there'd be a little bit of time and give the person a face to have the taste or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have the situation, and it's very hard for us to sell ourselves uh, in this one here. Um, we were going to close the dog, but if there was a, a school child got sick in a school, there's no way they'd close the school. And come, and that is in its own right, uh, at least, if they maybe close the classroom, say something, but not close the school. Should, you know, we shouldn't have had a situation where we were last night literally told the doll is closed until next Tuesday and, and go home. Now, we didn't go home and, and we kind of objected to this behind the scenes, our own rural independent group, and then it reopened again. And obviously, we found out afterwards that Stephen Townley didn't, uh, the minister didn't have, doesn't have COVID. And as I said, thank you for that. But it was a shambles from start to finish. And unfortunately, 
it's been it's been like that. Um, you have a government in disarray at the top. Um, you have uh, two parties in government mainly, the two main parties, one pulling against the other. Nobody thinking of Ireland. Everybody thinking of their own party and how can it, and nobody sitting down and pulling this together. They put a, they they hired a PR company. Um, is it last week? My God, that's the way the PR companies. And I don't know how much that's going to cost the state. If that's the way that the PR company is, is doing their business, well, that company obviously should be out of business this morning. Michael, you've given me an incredible amount of ground to cover there now in in, in questioning. First of all, let's start with Shauna for real, okay? He's on one hundred and seventy-five and a bit. Uh, thousand euro a year. Was he ill-informed as to procedure, as to what should happen? Uh, why didn't he just ask cabinet members to restrict their movements instead of using the term self-isolate? Because self-isolate and quarantine for 14 days can often in the public psyche be mixed up. It can. Um, what Sean uh, O'Farrell said last night after uh, reconvening the dog again is that a, a senior government official uh, uh, went to him, told him that uh, Minister Donnelly had um, uh, fell ill and uh, they were doing a COVID test and he's taking uh, while that the, the cabinet ministers couldn't um, uh, come to the doll and, 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 and continue the, their doll function. Now I would disagree um, with the Kim Cora on that basis because if you look at uh, Boris Johnson, when Boris Johnson in the UK um, uh, got COVID, um, the UK parliament never closed down. And they continued their business, and some ministers had to do Zoom uh, into the into, into the Parliament, and that's going to have to happen. We, what's wrong here, Mick? Is, is the whole thing is there's great experts out there, and I can't question the experts because they're far more have far more expertise in this. But they're 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 making decisions, and and there's no such thing as as, as the quite a clear understanding. We're going to have to live with COVID nineteen for a hell of a long time, and how do we do that? So yesterday was a, a prime example. Our state should have been able to obviously step aside for two hours, discussed where we were going to go with this and then reconvened it all. And if it meant that Minister was in close proximity to Minister Donnelly, that minister could have zoomed in to the doll or, or you know, there's, there's, there's plenty ways. But like for the people of this country, you know, they have children go to school and, and, and there might be a COVID uh, positive in the school and they're all taught act as normal or a meat fact or whatever. It, it, it sounds as if there's a t- we're living in a two-tier society and, and, and it is a terrible, terrible injustice to the people out there. Michael, the, the optics of, of the government uh, and TDs in general, yourself included, me- meeting in such a large venue as the convention centre for so long at such an expense is one thing. But can I ask a rhetorical question here? And if, if this was a court case, this is probably what the barrister would be asking, and nobody's asking it. Why would the cabinet have to self-isolate if they're conducting their business under socially restrictive guidelines? Why, unless they're having meetings they shouldn't be having up close and personal? The, 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 the way it was being dished out to us uh, yesterday evening, Mick, was um, I should actually have gone into isolation last night if I was going to listen to the guidelines because I, I had questions with, um, with with the Taoiseach yesterday who was, you know, obviously uh, around the cabinet um, uh, when there's discussions going on. And I, but I was 40, 40 to 50 feet away from him. So obviously that's nonsensical. I wasn't going to go into isolation. There was no need for it. And I think there was a, a glaring error made from right at the top of the government, right down along the line. And and I know the business committee met last night, late last night, to try and, and put the schedule back into place today. But the whole the mistake and the mess was made right uh, from the very minute when that when uh, Minister Donnelly fell ill. That should have been dealt with separately away from what's going on inside the doll. I do know that Minister Eamon Ryan is is isolating at the moment because he has a family member ill. Uh, and, and and there's a worry there, and and um, Thomas Burns also. But look, that's and, and Mary Lou did, but way back when, uh, a few months back, she had to take two weeks and stay at home. She did, 
and I was continuously going up and down to the doll at that time and there was no no doll suspended or no none of her party colleagues uh, stayed at home because they weren't able to attend to the doll because she had uh, COVID-19 so I, I cannot understand for the life of me but there is the, the problem is the leadership is very very uh, it's, it's, it's very shaky and uh, you know as I said earlier on there's, there's, there's two main parties in that in that government and one are pulling one way the other is pulling the other for their own interest and there's no interest in the country and this is what happens in that situation if you are not pulling together if everybody's not working together you're going to end up in a situation like you did end up in this evening and, and it was absolutely just symbolic to say the least yeah, when, when, when you look at the optics now of everything you have you have levels but then there's a special level and a bit for Dublin you have uh, positive cases emanating from meat meat plants and why they're being so protected by the government is beyond me. I know it's going to be the exports that will pull us out of any recession that we're in, okay? And I fully understand that. But when people who work in meat plants self-isolate, they're normally self-isolating in the same house, 10, 15 or 20 of them, as has been proven in the press. You also have the case now where there are, evidentially in Cork, there are one or two schools where there are Confirm cases, the kids are still to be sent in. Yet when there's a whiff of somebody being unwell in Dáil Éireann, they run for the hills. People are going to be understandably angry here. And they are, and rightly so, and I was angry myself from the inside in that situation because I didn't say, I didn't feel uh, as if I was endangered in any way, shape, or I certainly don't want to get COVID the same as anybody else. And I didn't, and I think that there wasn't, there, there was no real consideration, but it is just pandemonium. It's the whole way through, even the, even the discussion just that I, I uh, maybe I stand to be very strongly criticised for this. I just think that maybe Minister Donnelly got very upset after the announcement of all the levels yesterday and the amount of criticism that came from that. And obviously it is for the whole country is looking at it. Why was Dublin basically thought as two and a bit and the rest of us are all two? Dublin is in serious crisis in relation to COVID-19 uh, outbreaks and, and, and they've been continuously covering and shielding Dublin away. But I can assure you, if our own county in Cork would be a different story, there'd be a very strict closure and there'd be a very strict movement made. But low, but like when that announcement came out yesterday about the, the levels and the, there was a massive amount of, 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 of uh, criticism. I, I think maybe it upset Minister Donnelly uh, to, to this. And I know I know people have asked also I mean, how is it the minister got such a rapid. That was my next question. How did he get such a fast uh, test? Uh, albeit being the minister I, for health. I respect that, that that you know the whole process should be sped up. It was the importance of the job. Mother of God, I didn't expect to be as quick as that. But in saying that, it can be done. And I've been saying that for two to three months that the rapid testing, um, same day testing could have been done in our airports and continue to open our airports and bring people in safely and they get tested in four hours. I, I know a company down in Bandon in West Cork that can uh, give a result in four to five hours. So you get a test at nine in the morning, you'll be you'll know at one or two o'clock in the day that you're you're clear for COVID. But that hasn't been used that kind of a system to date. It was used yesterday. And I think this is where we're going. This is where we've been concentrating all our efforts on all these sensational and brilliant press conferences that are going absolutely haywire and completely wrong. Instead of focusing on how we get rapid testing done for the, the people of this state, how do we open our airports in a safe manner? Rapid testing. I was above in the Cork Airport the other morning um, fighting that cause. Last, last week there was a statutory instrument brought in by, by Minister Donnelly. We, uh, our ruling independent group, brought forward a motion to kick out that statutory instrument because we're gone too far, we're gone way too far. And uh, and 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 Sinn and Social Democrats, the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, all joined together to vote against our motion to kick that statutory instrument out. Make there's a focus on press conferences and focus on PRs and no focus on reality and the people that are suffering on the ground. How, how big is the disconnect now between the people on the ground and the government as it exists? Well, it, 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 uh, what happened last night? creates a further 
removal uh, from uh, the ordinary people looking at this last night would have been falling falling over themselves and angry then when they get over the point of falling over themselves angry why is there such a, and you know the schools through West Cork through Cork County through East and North Cork that are closing because of the COVID case inside and other children are might be in close proximity with the person and they don't know any different and they're left going to school way the next day well you see this happening in the doll I haven't seen Stephen Donnelly inside the doll for, for weeks I mean so I mean <laughs> yeah so like it wasn't it wasn't going to be a situation where I could pick up uh, um, uh, the COVID-19 from, from Minister Donnelly and there's a savage disconnect and, and unfortunately, you have to look right to the top if there's a disconnect in society and if there's an anger, a serious, sincere anger, because we need strong, strong leadership at this time to take us through this course that we have, this COVID-19, to take us through so many crises that's uh, facing our country at the moment. And that leadership is not there at the present time. There, there's inner arguing and upmanship and this and nodding, winking, going behind the scenes. It's wrong. It's a terrible wrong in our society at this time. I mean, Brendan Collins in West Cork, no relation to you, Michael, wants me to ask you. Uh, about the Taoiseach's response to his question about the cross-border initiative yesterday, saying it was an awful disregard for the people. I was very, very disappointed because I raised a similar question with Minister Coney uh, at the time, the Tarnish Coney at the time, maybe about a year, year and a half ago, about the cross-border directive. And if, if there's a, a, a no-deal Brexit, which looks like it, there is, is the cross-border directive finishing where we have taken thousands and thousands of people uh, to Belfast um, and and the, at, the, at that time the Tarnish said that uh, legislation has been put in place to do what we can to make sure that continues. My answer from the T-shirt yesterday um, was wishy-washy um, it was more messing and teasing rather than a straight up answer if he didn't know the answer which I have to respect that because sometimes you can't expect to know everything that's going to come before you he certainly should have come back to us but he did not clarify if it's going to continue and my worry is that that legislation that was there is now sitting there and it's not signed and that will be the end of the cross-border directive at the 31st of December of this year and I told the teacher yesterday if that's the case the people of Cork and the people of West Cork and the people of Kerry are going to go blind on your watch and I didn't like smiles across from me because I wanted something I wanted a serious answer for that that question Fianna Fáil during the general election had had uh, they were they were showing this bus going around collecting people. I didn't see they done many, but anyway, we won't argue that point. Um, uh, that they were taking them up to Belfast. It looks to me as if uh, the cross border scheme is in very very serious jeopardy. Uh, I certainly will be bringing it up with Minister Donnelly when when we see Minister Donnelly again. Uh, but certainly, make it, uh, I didn't get the answer I got yesterday, but I'll be following that up again uh, going forward. Okay, senior members of Fianna Fáil going on national radio uh, saying, you know, perhaps a leadership change is needed. Last night, first person out of the blocks when, when things were reversed and the Doyle was resitting was the Tónish Tilly of Radcar back like a shot. Uh, on TV national radio this morning, it's the minister for finance, another Fianna Gaelor, uh, Pascal Donoghue. Uh, is there is there a sense, and what's your sense? And I know you can only comment from the outside. What's the sense of the cohesion of this three party coalition at the moment? It's, it's it's in tatters, to be quite honest with you. That's the feeling on the on the inside in around the doll, the, the whispering uh, that's going on there. There's uh, great unhappiness in Fianna Fáil um, within their own party. Um, it, it, it looks as if um, Leo Varadkar is continuously undermining uh, the Taoiseach. 
um, and, and uh, the Green Party are just playing along, running along with, the, with, the, with whatever is going on at the moment. Uh, it's very, very. Uh, it's a, it's a, we're, we're entering a very dangerous time uh, and a very worrying time in Irish politics, mate, because our country is, is it needs every every country, of course, and every party, Europe and, and right across the world, needs extremely strong leadership at the moment, and it's not getting it. <coughs> excuse me, it's not. <coughs> excuse me, it's not getting it, and we're in a situation. In Ordal, where we have a T-shirt that, in my view, has been on the mind, but in my view, is that yeah, giving strong leadership either. And um, I, I, I just sincerely hope we don't land ourselves in a general election, but it looks to me as if Fine Gael are, 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 are um, getting ready for it. Yeah, it seems to me as if Leo Varadkar can, can, even though he's not teaching anymore, can call an election now any time he wants. He can, and he's looking at the opinion polls, and the opinion polls are making it look good for him. No, <clears throat> you wouldn't always want to go by opinion polls, because... To make at the end of the day, uh, the opinion poll is the day on the, is the day of the voting, and people could swing. Uh, and you saw what happened the last general election; they swung during an election campaign. This is no time to be quite honest with you for an election. I'm frustrated with the government the way it's working at the moment. I'm very frustrated, but this is no time for a general election because, first of all, it can't be conducted safely. For, surely, can't be conducted safely. No, and 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 at this time we need clear and strong leadership, and not to be contemplating on who's going to get above the other guy today yep. and the other guy tomorrow. I, I, we haven't got that at this present time. Michael, a couple of quick questions before I let you go. Uh, John O'Donovan called to ask me to ask you about the Dying with Dignity Bill, which you opposed. Um, the Dying with Dignity Bill was only in for discussion yesterday. It'll be in um, for further discussion, I'd say, in the, maybe in the weeks, in the weeks ahead. Um, I need to do a lot of research on this. Um, I've got people that contacted me far and against this um, at this present time, but uh, it's something you know that I find very hard to uh, agree with. But it's it's a, it's a difficult one for people. Um, you know, I, I could stand to be uh, getting knuckle wrapped for this, but I've seen a lot of people in my life uh, where their families have been told that that person has only two or three hours to live. And that person has lived, and 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 and, and, and that one individual, many individuals that I know, um, have, have fought back their health. And my worry is that these sort of new regulations, you know, initially it's all fine, and initially we'll be told, "Oh, good God, don't be saying that." You're saying the medical professional wouldn't do the like of it. But the bottom line is, these um, the, 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 the regulations that are put into power gives the power to other people basically to end your life, and I wouldn't be approving of that at this present time. But I have to do further, further research on the, on the matter. Uh, okay. Fi- final question, Michael. You can answer it as a citizen or as a, as a public representative if you wish. You, you represent a rural community, and you must be very well aware of the difficulties that the pubs have had over the last six months. Now, I know they're opening on Monday, uh, but would you like your Kerry counterpart, uh, Michael Healy Ray, offer an opinion on the uh, the nine euro COVID killer meal uh, and the fact that you know while positive cases are being identified in schools and the kids are still going in while meat factories are not being tested even though they're a central hub of of, uh, of of the disease you know that the pubs even at this late stage can be told and slapped down by saying turn the telly down I, to be honest with me, I think that's absolute, uh, absolute, absolutely farcical um, the, the publicans are facing rotation. Um, there was a moratorium on the on the on the mortgages. All those publicans who have mortgages, that moratorium in in September, they have haven't made a brown cent. So they're obviously either dipping into uh, finances that was there already, or dipping into families to give them to try and pay their mortgages going forward. My worry is that the the vulture funds now the next buddy that will be coming uh, knocking on their door because they they're going to mortgage default. Look, um, they, we've opened cafes safely. 
restaurants safely, hotels safely. And obviously there's always going to be a rogue trader out there that's going to try and, and, and pull the wool over the eyes. The pub should have been, they should never have been singled out from the word go. Never have been singled out. They should have been able to open with serious guidelines, the same as every other pub in Europe, in Russia, in America, right across the world they opened. They treated him the same and obviously with the same guidelines. But for some reason, Minister Donnelly and the t- backed by the Taoiseach and Leo Bracca decided the pubs were to be zoned and fingered out as being the reason for COVID-19, the, uh, the spread of COVID-19, which is totally and utterly wrong. Because most of the pubs that I know would be lucky to have 10 customers a day in, 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 in wintertime. And they might have a few more in the summer, but that, that's, that's the situation. They're, they're facing, a lot of them are facing ruination. I know a lot of them won't be opening next Monday, sadly, because they pulled the plug. They can no longer yeah. sustain and continue the way things are. So, make, you know... In I'm, I'm struck, as you say, with, with, the, with the image of the rural pub, with the owner carrying what are unprofitable hours, if, if you're looking at minimum wage, uh, and two or three elderly people in and out during the course of the day. As you say, 10 or 12 people. Uh, it's a striking image. Uh, do you feel then that, that things will get back to normal from now on with, with, with social, socialising in pubs? Uh, it looks as though people are going to have to book a table in their local to get in anyway. You will, and, and that's what I was talking about earlier on, the statutory instrument that Stephen Downey put before the people, which heaped further restrictions on these people trying to, who are already doing their level best, you know, the, to find out the time that you, you go in and what do you eat and where, where do you sit and the time you go out, Lord God. I mean, you need, you need, you need merely security at this stage to run a pub. Um, but the problem with, uh, in most pubs is that it's, it's a family member knows running the pub because the, the, either the male or the female uh, owners of the pub are having to go to do a day job somewhere they keep the door open and it's more a service they give to their community and they've been treated horrifically what they got in the compensation packages and the restarts uh, well, a thousand year and a thousand year you can't shut a business for six months and think that four or five thousand is going to compensate them that's led to their ruination and in my view and I, I, again I, I might anger people out there Fine Gael's been four years in government and with the road traffic bills and this bill and that bill they did everything in their power to shut the pubs and, and um, in my view, the, the new government has, has decided to do that and they're using it um, as, as, as a weapon to do that. And in fairness, the pubs have served the people. Um, and I, I, I obviously, I have a conflict of interest. I'm not one bit ashamed to say that. I have two brothers with two pubs. One is closed continuously. The other just reopened uh, recently. And, and I have a daughter working in a third pub. So, like, imagine the employment it's giving. Imagine the, 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 the services given to people. People come in there for a social drink. They don't come in there to be, to be shaking hands and, and hugging around the bars and spreading COVID-19. It's a social drink. Yeah. And they're well able to stay two metres apart. They're well able to but stop you know, jamming guidelines down people's throats to work with people. And that's what's wrong with this COVID the whole time. Nobody is interested to work with people. Everybody is interested in shouting and showing more rules and more regulation on top of it. And their people are burnt out. They're doing their best to cope with the curse that has, has hit us and, and, and they're not being aided and abetted by the government, they're being dictated by the government. Michael, it's been, uh, it's been very informative. I have to wrap it up there. Finally, though, a taxi driver, Dennis from Kinsale, wants to thank you for supporting them in their protest yesterday. So, thanks for that. Absolutely, and I appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thank you. All the best. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And we're doing our bit today, of course, for the 30th anniversary of the double in uh, Cork. I got a text from Alan Ross to say, all fires have gone red in Rathpeak and fireplaces in Hollymount. 
Sorry, Alan, aren't fireplaces always burning red? Anyway, for the day that's in it, they'll also be making a donation from sales made today to Marymount Hospice. And well done to uh, Dave O'Connor in Suits Distributors. He's given us some shirts to give away. Brenda is fashioning one right now. And she loves it. And she thinks it's lovely. And uh, we'll have some to give away before the end of the programme. And Dave is not giving a portion of his sales today to Marymount Hospice. Anyone who buys a shirt in Suits Distributors just across from Musgraves, he's going to give 100% of the sale to Marymount today. So that's a big-hearted gesture from Dave O'Connor and Suits Distributors, and thanks for that. Back to our phone lines and to Line 2 and to Atacan. Hi, Atacan. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you say there needs to be clear and concise messaging from the government. I've been saying that for weeks. And I was hoping, yeah. beyond hope, yesterday that finally there's an end to the miscommunications. Today they're going to have a clear and coherent plan and we got Dublin to in a little bit. Absolutely. It's complete. It's what I've seen on social media and it's true. It's a complete coalition of chaos. We're being told that most of the counties are on level two, but then they ask, they get asked the question, what level is Dublin, Dublin on? And they get asked... Which which is it? Is it level two or level three? And they say um, it's level two and a bit. And it just completely confuses the message for people of Dublin. They're being told by Michal Martin to stay in their county if, what, if possible. But then Stephen Donnelly says then, oh, uh, they, they can travel if they want outside their county. It's like in the government, there's kind of a mixed messaging mentality and there's still no clear, real, clear, concise information to people. Yesterday, I was... Personally, I was watching the press conference and the announcements and for an hour I was watching it and I could not make out anything that they were saying except the fact that the pubs are staying closed in Dublin and the wet pubs and the rest the rest of us only that there was five levels in the plan and they didn't even really talk about exactly what level each level was, you know. Mm-hmm. I felt it would have been better served if they said, we're in level two. Here, here's level one, and we'll be back there if these criteria are met. That's the way we want to go. But if we have to go the other way, if the figures are this, and if the hospital in, in, uh, admissions are this, and if this is that, uh, then we're going up to level three. And then when we hit this level, we're going to... Le- but it's not. It's just It's just about restrictions at different levels, but no clear pathway as to what we need to aim to get back down to level one. Yep. And then... Um it's as you said. It's com- you're completely right. We just need to be taught exactly what we're, what we're supposed to be, like what the plan is. We we don't need to be taught exactly what to do. We don't need to be taught like that. You have to be you know responsible hand washing and you have to keep your distance. We already know that. What we want to know is what is level one, what is level two, what is level three, what is level four, and level five. We don't need to know that all oh, the wet pubs are staying closed in Dublin. We that's fine. You don't need to keep mentioning that. But what we need to know is exactly why is Dublin on level two and a bit? And why is every other county on level two? Why? What's the difference? It, level 2.5 doesn't really make any sense because it's either level two or level three. And and they could, just, oh, they could have made six levels. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. They could have even made six levels and just made it clear and make it make like they were saying that level three, if they moved Dublin to level three, it would have been a bit you know, damaging for the economy. But if they had more levels, say another extra level, as you mentioned, then they could have put Dublin on level three and left all of the rest of us on level two. And it would have been clear and concise. It would have sent the message to the people of Dublin, this is what you're doing. And it took me until, I'd say, 
yesterday evening to find out exactly what was really in the plan because I read the infographic with the Irish Times and that's all I could make out. That's a brilliant visual infographic, by the way. You'll find it on social media. It's very hard to call that kind of stuff out on radio, though. Yeah, true. And But at the end of the day, as you said, it comes back to the messaging. We need clear messaging. I have no... like I, My political views do not come in tandem with Fine Gael or anything. But at least Simon Harris is kind of a bit on the ball when he comes to clear information. The rest of them, and for that matter, I think that this coalition is a, a chaos coalition because I think that Fianna Fáil are being stitched up deliberately by Fine Gael. And I think personally Leo is loving it because I think Fianna Fáil are gifting Leo uh, one of Fine Gael's best results in years because Fianna Fáil are constantly kind of, you know, if you like, shooting themselves in the foot by one... The Taoiseach is coming out saying, you know, one thing. And then we have backbencher TDs coming on the radio saying, oh, we need a new lead or Fianna Fáil needs a, you know, a change of direction. And it's a complete mess. The, he can't even manage his own party, let alone tell us exactly what information we have to, you know, to know. A staunch Fianna Fáiler said to me yesterday that uh, Stephen Donnelly took the Fianna Fáil shilling and would be the ruination of the party. And that's Absolutely. that was his deep held conviction. Yeah, and if if one thing we can ever say Stephen Donnelly ever achieved in his life, like we he doesn't I still think even know what he exactly views he is because he was once an independent, he was first elected to the Dáil in twenty eleven as an independent and he was one of the biggest staunch critics of Fianna Fáil. He he criticized them saying that they had they were a party of jobs for the boys and jobs for the you know, the bankers and then he formed the Social Democrats with Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy. And then after a year, two years, he left that party and said he had disagreements with the two of them. And then he joined Fianna Fáil. And now he's, he's burning Fianna Fáil down like the Titanic ship, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, what this staunch Fianna Fáil said to me yesterday, of course they want to remain uh, nameless uh, and anonymous, is, is that the cutest thing that Leo ever do, did was to allow Simon Harris to be replaced as Minister for Health because he knew that all the flack the government would be taking would be on the health grounds if the coronavirus increased again. And now yeah. uh, you've got a Fianna Fáiler in the, in the health portfolio and all the mixed communications and everything is not doing Fianna Fáil any favours. Yeah, um, and as well as that, I think that whoever that, you know, Fianna Fáiler who wants to remain anonymous mentioned, I think he, is complete, he or she is completely right. It's Stephen Donnelly is burning the party down and I think that... Fianna Fáil made the biggest mistake of their lives to give Stephen Donnelly that health portfolio. I also think that another big achievement Fianna Gael made was that they put, you know, Darrell O'Brien as the housing minister and housing is going to become a bigger, bigger issue throughout this crisis and they have the two biggest portfolios whereas Fianna Gael are in the kind of, they have a, maybe the justice portfolio which is sort of, which is hugely important but other than that they don't really have a significant portfolio where you know, they can be blamed for all the choices of the government. Like It's like similar to... You sound like you have political ambitions yourself there, Atacan, have you? Oh, yeah, I'm um, Yeah, I'm considering... Well, it's not official yet, of course, but I'm con- I'm running in the 2024 uh, local elections in Cork North East as an independent candidate. Independent, OK. I was going to say, what flag are you going to fly? The white flag? Oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see myself in any party. I think that's especially the last 10, 12 years, I think that four parties that have been in government, past or present, have kind of destroyed it for me. Like, in my own personal views, I would have been kind of aligned with a kind of a 
a left-wing Labour Party, but I don't see Labour representing any, you know, views mm. of me. And as well as that, I don't really think Sinn Féin exactly represents me. Like, I kind of share some of their views, but I think that the problem they have is that, especially in the last couple of weeks, I think they've shot themselves in the foot too by voting with the government on the order of business, you know, for the, you know, the speaking order. And they voted with the government on the... I think it was the, you know, the wet pubs thing. They they voted for them or for the restaurants to, you know, vote for them to have to record all the, you know, food that other people have in a restaurant. And I think that at the moment, if I was a politician or a political party, I think that I would love to be Fine Gael because at the moment, the two parties that they're in government with are completely being undermined. The Green Party is enabling this government to continue its chaos and... Fianna Fáil is just, you know, just backbench. Oh, wait, 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 wait for the budget. And I could be proven wrong here now, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but I yeah. think the budget will be, you know, the Greens, I think, love to victimise old people and poor people uh, with regressive taxation to, to further, a, a, you know, a, an, an agenda of environmentalism that, uh, you know, taxation can't deliver. That's just me. Uh, one final yeah. question. You, you got uh, blocked off Twitter, were you? Yeah, it was, it was something minor, really. It was just... Um, I was there was this person that he was just tweeting about um, that you know the health minister. I'm glad he's okay and that he should be prioritised over everybody else because we need a functioning government. I completely understand that he's a hugely important figure and that he needs to be prioritised. But my big issue is that if they can turn around his test results in two or three hours, they could easily turn around someone's an ordinary person's test results in say less than a day. Yeah, yeah the, the, the problem is, and I was talking to a GP as well yesterday who has had up to now about five uh, inquiries a day about COVID, uh, you know, coming in to, to check symptoms and maybe being referred for the test. Uh, in, the, in the last week, it's been 30, 40, 50, and one day even 60. Uh, so there's a huge increase in people looking uh, to be seen by a doctor and, and referred on for testing. I have to leave it there, Atacan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, Tom is holding, and I appreciate he's holding for a while. I'll be back with you in a moment, Tom. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning to you at 7 minutes to 10. This is Mick Mulcahy. My child is in Rathcormac School. When there's a positive case and more being tested, we have to send our kids in. Yet the cabinet run like babies to hide. I'm so angry. When there's a hint of a virus in the doll, it's run for cover. But when it's a school, Asher, it's grand, says another texter. And one more before we go back to our phone lines. Morning. Like many people this time of year, people get coughs, colds, etc. I myself have a cough the last few days. I have no temperature, no other symptoms. I'm paranoid when I do cough. As I said, many people are probably the same. Do we all get a test? I'm confused as to what to do. Now, in the five minutes remaining to us in this hour, let's talk to Professor Jerry Colleen, who is the Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology at the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences in University College Cork. Good morning, Professor Jerry. Good morning, Mick. That's, How are you? That's quite the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer Jerry. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's one of, I, I won't have any time to interview you if I have to call that title out at the end. Okay, so here we go. The government's road map reflects what most of us are looking for. Broadly reasonable, let's say. And I, and I don't want to be critical of it, uh, you know, all the time. But over the coming months, we're going to have to make some very hard choices. What do you see those choices being? Well, you know, um, it's going to be a constant uh, balancing act between... Um, Relaxations and restrictions, and you know, it's going to be impossible to to keep everybody happy. So I, you know, I, I just appeal to people to have realistic expectations about what's ahead of us. 
you know, I mean, I'm, I, you know, the, uh, a mitigation or living with the virus strategy wouldn't be my choice or recommendation, the direction I'd go, but we're in it now. We're committed to it now. And we've got to all get it behind it because, you know, if we don't give it a chance, it doesn't have a chance. And we've got to get behind it because, you know, give ourselves our best chance. And then you know, if it doesn't work out as people are hoping, at least then we have, we're not confused about, you know, we're, we're, we're sure we've tried our best. We have no regrets and we have no uncertainties yeah. and we can think again. But um, if we don't give it our best shot and we don't all come together around this, then it's going to be impossible for our leaders to take us through this process. But isn't that the kind of suck it and see approach that, that led to level two and a little bit yesterday? Shouldn't Dublin have gone to level three yesterday? Probably will be there by Friday anyway. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, if I look at people ask me, what do I think of this plan? Um, you know, it looks broadly like the kind of car that I would construct to take us on our journey you know, except I would add a few more gears. Um, but the question is now, are, you know, are we ready for the challenge of driving it? So, you know, the Dublin situation is a classic example. Dublin needs to go up at least to level three and probably more like level four. And I'm kind of worried that none of the levels include closing schools or universities. You know, none of them at all, even level five. Even level five. So, you know, I mean, I, I just think that's, that's um, maybe not looking the issue in the eye. So, so you know, as we take the car up to the gear through levels three, four, you know, maybe five, then, you know, that's obviously going to cause big problems for people. And, it, you know, I, I saw the taxi drivers, I see the poor, the poor publicans who look very conflicted. They know, they understand there's, there are inevitably, there's some risks involved, but they also know that they've got to open their businesses. So they're in a very difficult position. And I just, I'd really appeal to people that we, avoid the kind of social fragmentation that we've seen in the United States, that we've seen in Brazil, and that we you know, cut each other a little bit of slack going forward because it's going to be a bumpy road. There's a section of the Irish community, uh, Jerry, that, that is more disenfranchised than the publicans, and that's the live music and entertainment industry. They've had nothing. There's no support. There's no roadmap. There's nowhere to play. They've had no money for six months, uh, and a lot of them are really struggling today. And, uh, you know, I just want to recognize that as well. Yeah, totally, and, and that's the catch twenty two of uh, living with the virus strategy. Uh, um, you know, yeah, there just aren't enough relaxations to go around, and some some industries are really going to suffer. They're going to need an awful lot of support, and you know, and we've got to take responsibility for that as a society. You know, I mean, the it's not just the government; but our entire all our opposition parties also were very quick to take credit for the grand reopening that we attempted. You know, we all have to take responsibility for this the choice, this road that we've gone, because it's, it's what most people have wanted. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of Catch-22 conundrums that we're going to be stuck with. Um, I think, above all, we need clear and lucid communication that people can absorb and adhere to and feel like they're part of a collective and part of a team. Jerry, I have to leave it there. I won't even attempt the title again. But Professor Jerry Colleen, thank you very much for coming on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. It's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville this week and next. And one of the most difficult things to uh, deal with when doing this show, and I know Neil struggles with it as well, is to actually get to everything that the power of the show generates. There are texts upon texts coming in on all sorts of different topics. It's impossible to get to every one of them. 
But of course, we do appreciate each and every one of them. Uh, I mentioned a text two, two days ago, uh, which was this. Padder was asking Mick if it would be possible to ban women from wet pubs as they take up too much space and they're a distraction for proper drinkers. Let them go to gastro pubs. What are your thoughts? We got an amazing, huge reaction from that. Now, Padder uh, is a real person but won't come on air. Uh, but Ashley says sexism, sexism is alive and well. Seta says a distraction for proper drinkers. What the heck is a proper drinker and how can you be distracted from drinking? As if the liquid isn't going straight down your throat as you intended. Paddy said Padder needs a good kick up the behind. Jared said I know plenty of people who've no interest in gastro pubs. Also, the term wet pub is driving me nuts. Yeah, it's like the new normal and all this kind of thing. Double down all of the other ones that are keeping trotted out. Is It is pure military or political. Just like China's wet markets have been labelled as bad, wet pubs in Ireland also have the same connotation. Women who want food can go to a gastro pub. Those who want to drink can go to a regular pub. And um, we leave it there for now, but I will come back to that stuff. I just don't know why they're called wet pubs and not trad pubs, traditional pubs. Uh, but there you go. Now, Gav, who's originally from Cabra in Dublin, but living in Toker, said he's so sick to his back teeth of listening to Cork Langers shouting and roaring, lock down Dublin, lock it down. He says, if us Cork, if us Cork idiots had any cop on, Locking down Dublin would have detrimental effects for Cork and knock-on effects for the rest of the country. Uh, The Cork Taxi Council has contacted us, a meeting of all taxi drivers, all taxi drivers, next Monday, the 21st of September at 12 midday outside Porky Rin. If you want to get involved with the campaign or join the committee, just let us know. Together, stronger. The taxi drivers are feeling as well, of course, as the publicans and the live music and entertainment providers, very, very disenfranchised. Uh, by roadmaps uh, that don't exist and by support that doesn't exist, etc. We do hope to cover the live and uh, music and entertainment industry tomorrow on the Neil Prandival show. Uh, but Tom, my apologies for keeping you last hour. Glad to get to you now uh, after the 10 o'clock news. Tom, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you getting on? Good. No, you think it's a disgrace that a health minister gets a result back so quickly? Yeah, I was looking at the, the, the news uh, yesterday and breaking news. Uh, Donnelly um, is feeling unwell, so he's being tested for COVID. So everyone, all the boys from the doll, um, all shift out within a couple of hours. No, he's negative, back in again. I mean, it's an absolute... And your last caller had it there, and I think he's totally wrong, right? Why should we prioritise him? Because the last time I found out that he bleeds the same as me, Mick, he bleeds the same as you, he bleeds the same as every citizen that's in, that's in this country today, right? I know people right now that are at home. They haven't got the results in the last two to three days. I do as well. Right? Yes, right? They, they can't. They're anxious. They can't send their kids to school. They can't go up and see their elderly parents. Yes. We have this guy in a few hours, gets the test results back, and back in again. No. The last caller said, it's okay. We should prioritize him. Mick? This, might, this is not funny. I have a dog here at home that I could send on a train and go up to Dublin, right? he do a better job than that guy and what's sitting up there in the doll at the moment. But do you not take it that he's, you know, he's the head of the health department? Well, no, Mick, he's the head of the health department, right? Doing an absolute, I'm sorry about this, no, balls of a job. There's people at home here that are anxious, that can't come outside their front door in case they have this. And then if they do have it, they're back in again for 10 to 14 days. I know a woman that went up and was waiting in the test centre 
and you want this the, the tester came out and asked for the name came back and says no we don't have you in the list because they had it spelled wrong spelled that's wrong what yes that's what we're dealing with we have a health minister there who's comparing COVID to having an accident on a trampoline I mean are we actually so what has Dublin now one foot on the trampoline no, he came out with a statement about a week ago to two weeks ago saying, oh, COVID, you could be walking down the street and get hit by a bike. You could be on a trampoline and have an accident. I mean, is this, this is what we're dealing with, like. We're dealing with not only him, but with, like, there are restrictions in Dublin, right? Let's close the pubs again. The pubs have nothing to do with this. Nothing. As I said, he has his test in two to three hours, back in again, and our citizens are outside, anxious, can't send their kids to school, can't go up and see their elderly parents again. Well, there's two schools we know of, and there could be more. I I also heard, by the way, that there are now positive cases in the Mercy and in the CUH. But there are two schools that we know of uh, where there have been a confirmed case, one school of 1,400 people, all deemed to be not close contacts. Oh, it's okay, carry on, come back into school. Try man, go back into school. We spent three hundred to four hundred million on refurbishing the schools, right? Right? Builders making a fortune up there, fair play to them, right? Guaranteed money from the state, right? Instead of prioritizing our kids, prioritizing the parents at home, prioritizing the teachers, right? And I'm not giving the teachers another lashing up because they're after getting a lashing already, and some of them deservedly so and some not. Right? Instead of pumping that money into the schools and refurbishment, we should have given our kids, right, the incentive to be taught from home. It would have been cheaper. We would have given our kids the computers, the laptops to deal with it, right, to interact with the teachers at home. And what do we do? Give a mask to a, bloody, uh, give a, mask to a student, drive on in there, right? I've seen it myself, right, passing the schools and mask off all around big groups again outside shops. What's the point in it, like? But there are serious um, economic repercussions for the country uh, in the long term if the schools don't remain open. Because if little Johnny and Mary have to stay at home, they have to be minded, they have, as well as be educated, and mummy and daddy can't go to work. There's serious implications there. That's why the government, ha- you know, that's why the schools are opening, even in level five. Did you see the restrictions in level five? How restrictive? They're so restrictive, they, they only occupy 50% of the print space of the other uh, at least, uh, as you go down, there's less print, right? But level five, people will be asked to stay home, except to exercise within five kilometres of home. There'll be no gatherings at all, other than funerals, or we- none at all, other than funerals or weddings. Attendance at a wedding ceremony or reception remains at six guests. Attendance at funeral, only ten mourners. Wet pubs, or traditional pubs, can only offer takeaway or delivery service. Now, here they're nodding their cap to the fact that the pubs who haven't opened have suffered enough already. You can stay open, but you're going to only offer a takeaway or a delivery service. And schools, creches, and universities, in the face of all this, will remain open. Will remain open, and which is a covert for spreading of this disease. But going back to my original point, right? Right? This health minister, who was just thrown in there off the whim of, of, of Fianna Fáil, right? Because you had Mia Martin that was giving the speech yesterday who could barely talk in my eyes anyway, right? Right? Who's been laid down the garden path by Leo, right? And, and a majority of the Fianna Fáil party, look, I'm breaking into politics here and I'm going beyond my point. Um, majority of the Fianna Fáil party, I know, I know one or two of the Fianna Fáil um, 
um, uh, representative, what do they call councillors, they want to see him out. They're making a complete balls of this. They're making a complete balls of the tracing, right? As I said from um, earlier on, I know people at home now waiting on the results, right? Anxious again, right? And what happens? This is this takes me back to Mary Harney, right? Remember her mother was sick? Straight in on the line, bypassed everybody else, and came out the following day bawling, crying, crocodile tears, you know? We don't care about she as a public, right? We don't care about she as a citizen of Ireland. I'm sort my mam out first, and I'll sort myself out with a test first, and up yours. Okay, Tom, I have a question here from a listener for you. Can you ask that chap if they didn't do the test quickly as a member of government, would he be okay with the government all restricting movement until his test came back? You would probably then moan they're saying that we don't have a government. They're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Hold on, hold on. Obviously, a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil are there anyway, straight away, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, this guy, as I said, right, the trace and contact, they're not even doing it with themselves, mate. Right? They're not even doing it with themselves. And there are leaders of our country. There are a health minister who is there going... I'm going to go there and get a test, lads. All out, lads. You know, we're all going to the door there for five minutes and then I'll get my test results back and we're all back in again. There's juniors ministers. I mean, what do we have junior ministers for? What do we have TDs for? Can they not do their job? Here's, here's a little comment you, you, you might find interesting. It's amazing how all along when the government were, were being pressed about fast tests at airports, their line was it could read a false negative and so was a futile exercise. Yet Donnelly now has a negative test, but he's now mixing it amongst all the civil servants with no worry. And how is this class as different, says Christian? Of course. How is it? Look, hold on. Coming into our airport, you had two people sitting at a desk. Uh, there you go. You know, if you have COVID, just sign that there. You know, you won't be tested. You can stroll around the country, you know. But we're okay about it as a nation. Like. I, I'll ask the question again because nobody else is, right? And here it is. Unless... You as a member of cabinet, and I'm, you know, direct this to all members of cabinet, unless you as a member of cabinet were in very close proximity to Stephen Donnelly and thereby flouting your own rules, why did you have to self-isolate because he felt ill? I said, oh, just, 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 just whoever was in close contact with him yesterday, right, or even a couple of days before, go, go outside until you get your test results, wait until you get the test results, the same as every, every um, ordinary citizen inside here, wait your two or three four or five days or else you'll probably make a bloody mistake in your name again do you know wait just go like any other citizen in this country and the cabinet should not have been in close proximity with them they should have been um, observing their own distancing guidelines well there you go it's jobs for the boys we don't care look we'll drive on we'll be finished here in two hours time anyway and we'll go home and see our kids we'll go home and do our own normal thing for the big money that we're on every week and don't give a crap about anybody else that's what's happening We've a health minister there that is, come care. I mean, come on, we're fucking laughing stock of Europe. Like, we're the only country in Europe that hasn't opened up the pubs that is killing the, the, the actual publicans, right? The depression is going to go through the roof. Our country's shagged anyway from the amount of debt that we've, we've incurred over this and spent wrongly. Mm-hmm. But we're just, we've a health minister there. It's like we've, the, and, and Neil Martin and the rest of them up there just going, uh, look, he hasn't got it. No, he's negative. Come on, we're back in there, there again, and we'll be grand again. Yeah, and then the Ferrari on Sky News who, who claimed he had it. That caused all sorts of confusion. Oh, of course it did. But then breaking news straight away, oh, no, I'm all right. Let's go back in again. I mightn't have a clue about my job, which, I, which he doesn't, right? We have, like, we just go back in again. At least Harris, at 29 years of age, when Harris was on uh, the television, and under, you listened to him. 
No, he might have been only young for like 29 years of age, but he had... Oh, he, was, he was a bit older when the pandemic hit now. Yeah, well, right, he was a bit of cop on, right? He had a bit of cop, and you listen to him. This guy is just kind of on a whim. Do you know, um, yeah, we listen to Neffet there, right, and uh, but what about your own, what about your own kind of issues on us? So look, just listen to Neffet anyway. Do you know, don't mind about me, I'm just the health minister of, of, of Ireland for the, for the country, you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think Fianna Fáil and Micheál Martin in the Supply and Confidence Agreement with the most noble of intentions, you know, propped up Fine Gael possibly for too long, which they may come to regret because now the positions are reversed and it's it's Leo Varadkar who's controlled now about propping up. Oh, this is completely like, you've all the pressures on me, old man, but I'm sorry, no, hold on a second. This guy has been in, in government for over 35 years, right? If not more. It's 30, over 30 years, right? And he... He been teased straight away that he can't um, cope with it. That he's been led down the garden path. That his own his own Fianna Fáil party don't want him in there. I mean, Mick, this this is just an absolute disgrace. Well, what Eamon O'Keefe said on national radio, right on RT Radio, uh, was that there's no point in, in in discussing this in parliamentary circles because it's going to get here anyway. I might as well just come out on radio and say it uh, yeah. about his disquiet about what's happening within Fianna Fáil. It'll be just disquiet. Look, he could go up to a blank wall and talk to that blank wall because you get a better response off it. Because they'll just circle the wagons again. All you, all the old Fianna Fallers and all the regulars will just circle the wagons again around me all Martin and give him the two years until he gets his pension, until he gets his three pensions, actually, and just head off into the sunlight. Leo, you come back in, the pandemic is over, and we're back to square one again. We'll drive on. Even though the country's shagged, you know, um, up to right balls of recession for the next 10 years. Who cares? Come on away in there. I have my pension. I have everything else. Donnelly, you have your pension as well. Drive on. Don't care about the ordinary citizen on the street. Don't care about the people that are there this morning with their kids. Can't go to school. Waiting on bloody tests, right? Anxious, right? If they do have it, they're 10 to 14 days again. Back out again. Can't see the elderly parents in case you go up and try and go up and kill them, right? And yet this guy can go out. It's an absolute disgrace that he can go away and get a test done within a few hours instead of pumping money into the test centres and have more of, it, more of them. And you're on referrals to doctors, right? Just a second. Okay. A, a, a texture says you've gone full Roy Keane. Is that Roy Keane on the air? He needs to calm down. The health minister will be prioritised for a test. If he thinks that's wrong, then he's clueless, says John. Oh, it's all, is this the same plan from up the north side, no? No, no, I wouldn't think so. There's plenty of Johns out there. Oh, no, there is, yeah. But he just sounds like him, you know. That's been clueless. He's clueless anyway. No, he's saying you're clueless. Oh, I'm, I know that. I, I look, listen, if I was... If I was Another text just says, I absolutely agree with your caller, Mick. Lead by example, not do as I say, do as I do. Very disappointed with me, Hall and Fianna Fáil in general. And Eamon O'Keefe is absolutely correct. Fianna Fáil is on the way out and Fianna Gael are laughing all the way to the next general election. Waiting for days on end for, uh, on end for a result is a disgrace. Not to mind the time waiting to get a test in the first place. It's a long text. One more bit. For all the good they're doing, it wouldn't matter if we'd no government for a couple of days, says Paul in Band and Love to uh, come go. on the air, but I can't. Yeah, completely. I, completely have, I have to wrap it up shortly, Tom, yeah, so final no, point. I have to go away myself. Yeah, final point is, oh, I'm just disgusted with the nation that we're just standing back and sitting back looking for years now. This is not just what's happening. Like, even recently, like, more more recently now, then we've just sat back and watched the boys in Dublin again just completely shaft us and make rules and shove it down our throats and wreck the pubs and wreck this nation for what it is. 
just disgusted with that show up in Dublin. Thanks, Tom, for uh, thanks, Tom, for everything you said. Uh, it's been a, been an interesting conversation, to say the least. Yeah. Thanks a million. Now, uh, I need to take a break, but uh, I want to thank Ross, who uh, did our bidding yesterday and had a look at the Plandemic series. Um, Ross, thank you for holding. I'll be back to you in a moment, sir, okay? Oh, yeah. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Just turning 25 past 10. Good morning, Ross. Thank you for holding. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. How are you? Very good. Now, this is going to be a kind of a complicated one because we asked you to look, and you did, look at the Plandemic series, which has essentially been removed from most social media. You can pick it up in little bits. Uh, did you see the whole thing? No, i seen the movie when it came out on the 18th of August. Um, we were kind of following the guy Brian Rose from London Real, who was kind of promoting it. He was like hosting it on his website. And I hadn't seen the miniseries beforehand where there was like kind of shorter clips. But basically, the movie, anyways, all of that put together. So let's so, let, let's take a walk down the conspiracy theory avenue for the moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, you're saying, or the, at least the uh, documentary is saying, that we need to collectively start to think more critically about the narrative that's been laid out by the one percent. Uh, we have the major corporations of the world who have increased their net worth by billions upon billions, while the lot of the general voter. Uh, has decreased. If you're, you know, an, an average worker, you're being dictated to, you're being told how to live, you're being scared to an extent, while uh, some of the big corporations are, are profiting beyond measure. Correct, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I think anyway, you know. And, um, the main point of the documentary, I think, is just to just show people that, like, they're, not to say that the virus doesn't exist, but to say that it you know, it could have been planned for a long time in the running, you know. Um, there's like a paper trail that these guys in the documentary kind of put together going back as far as 1999 from um, the CDC and Harvard University and all these kind of places that are <clears throat> basically kind of like looking at patents. Is yeah, let, let, let's, let's look at the facts. And the facts are yeah. one, COVID-19 is patented and has been for a decade. Correct. That, yeah. that leads so to one, it, that leads to one or two things. Either it's patented legally or it's patented illegally. So let's expand on that. Yeah. So what they put out in the documentary is that they go through the timeline. There by this guy um, David Martin. He's a PhD in linguistic genomics. So his agency look after. They pretty much find fraud in big companies and anything to do with biochemical weapons across the world. Um, and IBM, the company, in, in 1999, they started getting a load of patents, millions of them. And what brought them to their attention was a third of them were functional forgeries. So there were linguistic variations of the same subject matter. And mixed in all of those patents was patents for coronavirus. So, but, but coronavirus is, is a, that's a kind of a, a wide ranging yeah. element of, yeah. of, of viruses. COVID-19 is a specific one. Uh, because, correct, yeah. because it was discovered in 2019. Uh, okay, so if it's if it's a natural disease, it's 100% illegal to own a patent on it. Correct, yes. And if it's a man-made disease, it's legal, but that leads us down all sorts of roads as who made this and exactly. who subjected the world to it. And they say that if it was manufactured, then it breached biological weapons and international laws, which is a crime that someone has to kind of be held accountable for, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not, that's kind of the main, the gist of the documentary, really. You know, it's not to deny 
that it exists. It's not to, you know, tell people to stop wearing your mask and all that kind of thing. Because... Well, there, there are plenty of people at the top who deny it exists uh, effectively. There's 200,000 people dead in the United States and not a word of remorse uh, or, yeah. you know, or contrition or admission from their leader who is holding uh, against uh, certain governors' restrictions on their own states, who is holding open gatherings with no restrictions at all. Yeah, so like they're kind of just doing their own thing over there, you know, as well. They, whatever kind of benefits them, I suppose, as well, you know. But, um, but the main thrust of the documentary, the second main thrust, not just on the patent thing, uh, if I remember correctly, is that any any talk about uh, you know conspiracy theory uh, being a load of bunkum, being a load of rubbish, is is generally coming from people who are glued to their phones and who are being dictated to by the one percent. Yeah, you know, so like they do, so like the patents is one side of the documentary they talk about, and then they go on to the media, um, like the mainstream media, you know, um, and how. They kind of like, kind of spin stories for whoever owns the company's benefit, you know. So there was um, the director, a guy called Mickey Willis, and he was in contact with a doctor, uh, Judy Mikovits. Mikovits, yeah. She was. Um, no, I watched. I watched. Uh, on the, the on on one on one side, she's put up on a pedestal as being a world-renowned expert, on the other, she's a discredit. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's doctors differ, patients die. I suppose, and that's an unfortunate uh, analogy to make. But really, the documentary is the idea. But it's all control and tracking. That the likes of Bill Gates wants to put a chip in us. That if we don't subscribe to vaccinations at a hundred dollars a pop or whatever it's going to be, uh, and they'll they'll downgrade the chip from green to orange, and then you you can only buy food. You can't enter. Uh, for instance, a pub, and then if if they downgrade your chip from red because you didn't get the vaccination, you can't do anything, even eat. And that's a bit outlandish, to be honest, isn't it? It is, it is yeah. And I don't think anybody would want that, you know. Um, and like, like they do mention Bill Gates for a bit in the documentary as well. Um, but they they just kind of look at his history um, as opposed to you know his his plan for like world domination or whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I um, would I would direct people on Netflix to the uh, the three part documentary that is Inside Bill's Brain. Uh, which would give anything uh, but the impression that he is a megalomaniac and that he wants to control the world. It's that, uh, it, unless it's a very well-crafted piece, yeah. uh, you know, of of PR, uh, then it shows Bill Gates in the light of a true humanitarian. And, you know, before you castigate him or read the, the, the reports on social media that he's trying to take over the world, at least yeah. inform yourself by looking at inside Bill's brain. Uh, which, of course, has been, uh, you know, it's been approved by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But it does give a serious ins- insight into the life of the man. Uh, he is completely devouring novels and, and uh, textbooks and stuff every day. And I'm not trying to glorify him here because we're trying to keep an open mind on the thing. But um, so we can unwillingly trundle along, I suppose, and do what we're told. So the rich get richer and we become nothing but dependent on handouts for them. Um, but in, in all of this, you know, there is a very serious virus at play here. And to anyone who's thinking they can be brainwashed in Ireland, look, we can't even get the communications right to help us, not to mind to brainwash us. Exactly, yeah. But I think the main thing is to kind of keep an open mind, you know. It's like not to listen to what I have to say about it, what anyone else has to say about it, but watch it for yourself and come up with your own decision and your own kind of attitude. Same with Bill Gates, you know, like you could say he's, you know, he's, you know, he's really helpful for mankind or whatever, and then the other side of him, then everyone hates and thinks he's 
But always, I suppose, yeah, and it's your own comment here that, that got me. Question the narrative, become aware of your own conditioning, simply withdraw your consent if, if, if you need to. But other than that, you're, you're going to have people saying, look, it's a simple piece of cloth over your, over your face. Uh, if wearing it prevents somebody else from dying, you are morally obliged to do it. If you don't do it and you unwittingly transmit the virus to someone who then dies, that could be considered manslaughter. Wear the mask. I see what you're saying, yeah, you know, and I think, like, wearing a mask, you, you know, you put it, it's for putting other people at ease as well, and I think that's the, one of the most important things about it, you know, like, you get people who are just anti anti-mask altogether. Ross, where, where can people find the documentary, even in its bit form now? Um, you can find it on freedomplatform.tv, so it's a free website, you do need to put in your email address mm-hmm. to subscribe or whatever, but it comes up for free, um, and what's cool as well is there's like say 26 parts say scenes in the documentary but they're all kind of broken up individually so you can share as opposed to sharing the entire hour and a half documentary you can find the bit that you think is relevant Okay, and share that Happy to wander down conspiracy theory uh, avenue with you Uh, and thanks for watching it, thank you Cheers, Ross. No, brother. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can get in touch with the program, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text to 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. To Debenham as we go and to Madeline Whelan. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning, Mick. Now, 30 years of your life you spent working for Debenhams. That's right. And 160 days I'm on a picket line. Okay. But you're still a, a very big heart, even though you're in the, I suppose, in the depths of depression. Uh, at, at what's happening to you guys. Let, let, before your charitable ambitions, uh, can you just give me an update as to where you stand now with KPMG, with the, uh, with, well, with, with the company itself? We've heard nothing from KPMG since last week. We've, they haven't made any contact with us. We have a motion going through in the dial today, which has been amended by the government, but look, it's a step on a, on a ladder, and we're up one step at least at this stage. Just trying to keep the positive vibes going at this stage, really, we'd have to see. There's, there's a lot of work still involved, and we are going to fight it all the way. But at least we have a step on the ladder now. Okay, and another step is you're going to do a little bit of a hunger strike. We're on 12-hour um, fast today at the front of the shop on Patrick Street, um, from 9 in the morning to 9 tonight, and we're all proceeds are going to marry them. Okay, well, look, a 12-hour fast isn't going to adversely affect your health anyway, uh, but no, you're doing it for a good reason. We are. We're going to give something back to the people of Cork who have been so good to us in the last 160 days out there. And um, we just felt that we'd do something. And Mary Mount is in everyone's family, I suppose. So we said, look, that was a good cause. And through COVID, I suppose they're struggling as well. So there's a lot of activity here on Park Street and the people of Cork are out here and they are supporting us. Okay. And you're taking donations in what way? We're taking donations. We have buckets for Mary Mount and people are donating that way to Mary Mount. And then we'll pass on the buckets to Mary Mount when we're finished. Okay, and they're Marymount buckets, yeah? So everything is above yeah, board. Yeah, board, yeah, we have our permit and everything in okay. order. Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a permit uh, that you have and it's, uh, everyone can support it 100%, so all cash will go to Marymount. Uh, yeah. And it's not the only thing to, uh, that's being done today. We're also um, supporting here, of course. Half the crew in here are in red. Uh, Seamus, and uh, we have a very nice shirt on uh, on our own senior producer, Brenda. Uh, so we're all doing our little bit. Um, yes, we're all but, as well. Okay. How long more do you think it'll be before you get a resolution? Would you dare to say? We won't. We actually haven't even called that far yet. I suppose it's every day as we go and tomorrow. We're 161 days, so we're making history for all the wrong reasons. But we oh, you're taking over from Vita Cortex, are you? Yes. 
yes, tomorrow we'd be 161 days, so we'd be the longest serving, as I said, for all the wrong reasons, but we would be making history tomorrow. Making history, and I'm sure the Vita Cortex gang will be there to support you as well. Yeah, they're all coming tomorrow and would be at the shop from half ten in the morning we have a rally. All the public are greatly um, asked to attend as well. Okay, so if you feel for the plight of the Debenhams workers, you can go along today and show your support for their cause, and you can also support their charitable endeavours to help uh, on Go Red for Cork Day today, the 30th anniversary uh, of uh, the lifting uh, that completed the double. You can donate to the Marymount Buckets and all proceeds will go to Marymount across the road from us here in Red FM who do such, such Trojan work in, in palliative care and in leaving people uh, depart this mortal coil with uh, a serious level of dignity. So well done to all concerned and best wishes in your endeavours uh, to seek retribution and, and, and what you're essentially legally entitled to from the, your former employers. Thanks very much, Mick. All the best. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks, by the way. Uh, that's Madeline Whelan, uh, working in Debenhams for 30 years and doing uh, the good thing today, a good deed, a 12-hour fast for Go Red for Cork today and all donations going to Marymount. We have some shirts to give away at the end of the programme. They're the official double shirts from Suits Distributors, uh, who are up across from Musgraves there, uh, and they're giving 100% today uh, of the uh, the cost of the shirt. Whatever you pay for it, 100% will be going to Marymount as well. So we're happy to support that because it's a very big-hearted gesture from Dave and all at Suits Distributors. Now then, let's go to Miles Gaffney on line one. Hi, Miles. Hi, Mick. Oh, it's Hi, you yeah. again, is it? Hi. It's you again. We had great crack Tis the last me again, time. Tis me again. How are you? I'm great. We had great crack the last time. We did. And you know something? Still today, people will bring that interview up to me and say they really enjoyed it. And, you know? Oh, very good. Let's hope I do as we well on this one then. I know. I know. So, look, here, here at Red FM and, of course, uh, everyone who supports Cork GAR celebrating today. Looking back 30 years on a historic Cork double in 1990 uh, and all day today of course we're mentioning the charitable arrangements that are happening in support of a fabulous charity called Marymount. Now you wrote a song about uh, Teddy McCarthy being the only man to win a double in the same year. I would have thought Tomas uh, Mulcahy was as well but he was in two different years was he? He was. Teddy is the only fella to um, the only man in the history of the whole GAA. The whole and, Teddy Mac. Uh, to hold the, the honour of, of two All-Ireland medals in hurling and football in the same year and it, I think it'll never be matched I don't think it was ever going to be matched anyway but I think the rule has changed now regarding the game so I don't think that you, it's possible, it can be possibly done anymore like you know Okay so that's a big so, big one-off and, and certainly worthy of a song so tell me about the song Well you know going back a couple of years ago Mick when I started going into the songwriting, I, I watched the documentary about Glenn Fry from the Eagles, and I was always wondering how they got, you know, um, songs like Desperado and Doolan Dalton and these cowboy songs, and it came from... Well, Doolan Dalton and James Dean, uh, Desperado, yeah. they were all, you know, they were all on that, that kind of outlaw rebel phase of the... You know Glenn Fry was a member of Kinsale, uh, the old head golf club? I didn't. There you go now, you do now. But getting back to it, books. Reading books was where the Eagles got some of their songs, so I started doing it. Um, just, it was kind of, I know, I suppose, more, um, I enjoyed the research and I enjoyed the reading of, of books, and um, so I started extracting songs from books. And I had said it in an interview um, that, I, that, I, that I extracted songs and read books for, for material, 
And one day I was I was at a gig um, below in the castle in Glanmire, and uh, a guy called Greg Mara came up to, to the stage with a book, and he said, "That's for you." And I looked at it, and it was Teddy. It was a book called Teddy Boy. So I said, "What do you want me to do with that?" Like I said, obviously you want me to read it. He said, "Look, I'm gonna read off it." He says, "Would you not think that Teddy McCarthy deserves the song? You've done Roy King, you know, you've done Liam Miller." So I said, okay, I said, I'll have a read off it. And I went home that evening. I was very rare, actually, that I have time of my own, you know, very rare. Uh, and my wife was gone to her mother's and the kids were in bed and I sat down and I had a beer and I started reading Teddy Boy. And after about the first 10, 15 pages, I went in and I got my notes, got my bio, and I read the whole book that night and I extracted ideas and names and dates and times and stuff. And um, the following day, I went back at it again and I wrote wow. that song, Teddy Boy, you know, and that's where it came from. That's kind of how you wrote the last couple as well, though, isn't it? Um, well, I just done. I just finished another song for Joe Duffy because uh, Joe wrote The Children of the Rising and then a follow-up book he wrote was The Children of the Troubles. Now, I had worked with Joe on The Children of the Rising because I wrote the songs and um, the song Sean Foster extracted from Joe's book um, with Joe's involvement obviously and then when he wrote The Children of the Troubles he approached me and said would you like to extract the song from that and I only finished it took me eight months to write that song because there was so much in-depth information in the book about 186 children that were killed in the Troubles and it was just you know an awful lot of information to get in in three and a half minutes Mm, three forty you know but um, yeah, I do use that method a lot, uh, the book, because... There's going to be an album here, Miles, is there? I have it ready. It's out in the recording studio. And uh, I just can't mo- I can't move it because of the times. I can't afford to to, to give it out there. Like, and I'm an unsigned artist. Um, you could you could crowdfund it. I remember many years ago, and, and this before crowdfunding or GoFundMe or anything was, uh, you know, was de rigueur. Uh, I remember an artist called, was it Nick Kelly? He was with the Fat Lady Sings. He went out uh, on a solo run. Uh, and I remember seeing him in the lobby and he was selling his album before it was even made for 15 pounds, poons at the time. And if you paid him the 15 poons, he takes your name and you get a credit on the album. So when it came out, all the people who gave, let's say a thousand people gave him 15 poons. He had 15,000 poons. He made the album, gave all of them a mention on the album. Why don't you try that? Yeah, well, you know, it was mentioned to me a few times and I know a lot of, of, of people who have done it. But you know, Nick and anybody that knows, that knows me and I've said this to like would know I'm telling the truth I just take my my following are core working class people the majority of them right and and like it's hard enough to make a few bob and I just felt like putting a hand out asking people for a few bob even though I know they were getting a reward at the end of the day mm-hmm. it just didn't sit with me and I had a, my own father we sat down one evening we had a chat about it and the minute I mentioned it, and my dad started nodding, he said to him, I don't know, I don't know, Miles. And uh, if he had said, yeah, go for it, I would have went on his word. But I just, it just didn't appeal to me asking people for money, especially people who work hard all week. And, you know, I just... I understand. I just, hand out. Listen, I, Miles, you know, and you're trying to get him to buy a ticket in during the year to come and see you and stuff. I know, yeah. Stuff. Look, I, I know there was a fierce lagging between a few of the players and yourself, uh, and I want to get into some of that conversation. I also yeah, want to play the song. So I'm going to take a break now and come back to you in a moment so we can have a good run at it, all right? Right. Thanks, man. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 
1851-04106. Red FM. As we continue our conversation with Miles Gaffney, a Cork extraordinaire singer-songwriter. Now, do you only write about Cork, really? I suppose you do, Miles. It's really just Cork characters, really, and that stuff like that. No, well, I concentrate on Cork for, you know, your Cork following because every year when I, I play at Cypress Avenue two nights at Christmas every year, it's very important, you know, for the home audience that you have Cork songs for them that they can relate to, you know. Um, I have a big following down in, in the Glanmire area as well, where, sure. where Teddy comes from. And, yeah, he had a pub in Glanmire, didn't he? He had one time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's, listen, let's introduce the song, will you? I know you did it in studio especially for us yesterday, so it'll seem like you're here, even though we're socially distanced. That's right. It was a live recording, and thanks to Tony Corby for all his help in getting that recording at such short notice, getting it over the line. Okay, so, um, will we play it? Yeah, give it a blast there. Okay, no on this great day, we're celebrating the Cork double of 1990. Uh, for Teddy McCarthy, written by Miles Gaffney, here's Teddy Boy. Teddy Boy grew up in hard times Always did talk the sidelines Born with a God-given gift to play GAA Championship and up to school in the North Month, vouched by Shawnee Farrell with Donald O'Grady and Marty Murph. He captain and he'd win the Dr. Hardy Cup. From Glenmire, Killian Sars, came Teddy McCarthy, Cork's jewel star. In Football, he made history in the All Ireland Finals of 1990. In the same year, it's to be admired, he lifted Liam McCarthy and Sam McGuire, always the apple of his mother's eye. Teddy boy As a young boy he could challenge men In 84 faced emigration But Beamish and Crawford answered Teddy's woes Because the rebel county needed Teddy at home With Timos Mull and Jim Cashman And Jimmy Barry Murphy, Billy Morgan Presenting the red and white They played GA pages worldwide In attack, midfield and fullback Leaping out of his skin was Teddy Mac In Harlan and in football He made history In the same year, it's to be admired He lifted Liam McCarthy and Sam McGuire Always the apple of his mother's eye Teddy Boy Against Galway, Mayo, Mead and Derry 
He was always ready to bury Kerry On the day he won the double He ran down Crow Park's tunnel Under the Hogan stand far from the crowd Jack Lynch whispered Teddy You should be so proud A jewel All-Ireland champion Who oh, will we ever see the like of Teddy again? Thank Mickey Barry and his humble roots For buying Teddy Mac his first pair of boots In Harlan and in football he made history In the All-Ireland Finals of Liam McCarthy and Sam McGuire Always the apple of his mother's eye Cox Jewel Rebel Teddy Boy, Teddy Boy Always the apple of his mother's eye Fabulous stuff and very tastefully done as well. A great sound quality on that, Miles. So well done and congrats to your producer. You put it together very quickly there yesterday. Teddy Boy? Yeah, Teddy Boy. Um, so looking at the song, you know, as I said, Mick, I read the book um, and I just, the names mentioned in the book uh, are in the, in the book. I put into the song things that Teddy spoke about in the book that were very important to him. Um, you know, his upbringing. He uh, he lost his father young, and he later lost his sister in life. Very similar to myself, where I could relate to that. Um, and you know, I spoke to Paul Brady one time, and he said that when he closed his eyes, he could vision the song as he was singing it. And I I can do the same. And as I was reading that book, I could visualise Teddy Mac as a young boy playing hurling and football down in the terrace in Glanmire. And the way he the way he described his upbringing, and that man Mick Barry, that's mentioned at the end of the song, he took Teddy under his wing as a young boy, and he actually bought Teddy McCarthy his first pair of of boots. Okay, and and Teddy heard that song. He actually phoned me that night, and he said to me, "Out of all," he said. I can't believe he said that you put Mickey Barry into that song, you know? In other words, you read the book and you nailed it. Yeah, and he was, I could tell, Teddy was actually very, very emotional that night on the phone. And he actually mm-hmm. made me emotional, you know? Of course. And, um, and it was, and then you'd have the names, like we had a great, you were on about a bit of a slagging, you know? One day I found myself in the company of uh, Shawnee Farrell, who was mentioned in the song because he was the one who forwarded Teddy to go to the North Man. And that's where I went to school as well, another connection. And Marty Murphy, he was my vice principal and he was Teddy's hurling trainer. And Don Grady was the principal of the AG when I was there. But one day, myself, Shawnee, uh, Teddy McCarthy and Tomas Mulcahy were in company. And I nudged Tomas and I said to him, watch this now. I said, 
But Teddy, Teddy was sitting down in there, and I said, "Yeah, here, Tomas, he said, yeah, you wouldn't be seeing Jimmy Barry Murphy anytime soon, would you? And uh, Tomas said, I will, I will. Kind of winking the eye, like. And yeah. I said, uh, do you know what, no, Tomas, they said, I'm going to write a song now, I said, about Jimmy Barry Murphy. And Teddy turned around like a light, and he said, hold on, no one minute, he said, let my song settle now first, he said. He said, leave my song settle now, he says, first. I'll go burst the last. <laughs> so I said, oh, and he's lagging. Come here, we're going to be speaking to Tomas after 11 o'clock, by the way. Uh, Tomas Mulcahy, no relation. Uh, good friend, no relation. Uh, hey, Mick, Dennis Walsh of St. Catharines won both hurling and football 30 years ago. I think he was a sub in the football, but he won two either way. Rebels of boo, says a texter. Who's that? Who's that, Teddy? Dennis Walsh of St. Catharines apparently won both hurling and football 30 years ago as well. But he, uh, caller things or the texter thinks he was a sub in the football, but he won two either way. So let's see if that's true. Can't wait to see Miles playing in the pubs around the south side again. He's an absolutely fantastic guy and singer. Kept us going through the lockdown with his online gigs. Pure Cork, says, uh, Mags and Ballyfehan. And uh, here's one more final one. Miles played at our pandemic wedding recently. It was absolutely fantastic. The first wedding in the Kingsley post-lockdown. Thank you, Miles, from Trixie and Francis O'Halloran. And Mrs Healy said, what a fantastic song. It will surely be a hit. Miles Gaffney, thanks for coming on this morning and for that fantastic song on this special day, Teddy Boy. Thanks, Miles. Well, and thanks, Mick. All the best. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And of course, for the day that's in it and the 30th anniversary of that historic double for Cork, if you do have any cherished and treasured memories, then please send us a text. 086-8104-106. By SMS or WhatsApp. You can call us in at one 106 Though we are fairly jammed up with phone calls between now and 12 midday. Or you can email your memories to neil at redfm.ie. Now, my old namesake, Tomás Mulcahy, is on the line. Hi, Tomás. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. What does life have you doing these days? It's a while since we've seen each other. It is indeed, as me Oliver Hertig would say, no relation though. Mulcahy and Tomás Mulcahy, yeah. Um, look, things are, things are, things are very good. I, I suppose it's been a difficult couple of months for everybody. Um, it's been a difficult couple of months if you're involved in Corky in terms of matches, uh, fantastic games, but not being able to get to matches. So look, today is a special day to be honest with you. I think it's gone beyond our, our wildest dreams in terms of ex-players, um, we've been taught so much of, right? But, um, it's for a very, very worthy char- charity, and I think that's the important thing out of today. And uh, we're looking for all Cork people um, to, to get behind us. Go right for Cork. Um, if you can donate, text to five zero three zero zero Mary Mount and uh, make a contribution. It's four euros, and you can go on the website Mary Mount website if you can actually kind of uh, maybe contribute a little bit more. And I know it's difficult times for everybody, and it's difficult times for business. But this is a very, very worthy charity, and we as all players, former players, and current players, were really supporting this cause today. Great stuff. Now, this is the brainchild of Conor Cahalan, whose father, Niall, was on the winning 1990 football team. Uh, the anniversary of Cork winning the GAA double in 1990 has also been, as as you may have heard, it's been marked by the Debenham strikers who are collecting from Marymount and permitted to do so today. So we ad- we advise everyone who can afford anything, even if you can't get online, to go in there and support the Debenham's workers and this worthy cause. So Marymount Hospice is benefiting greatly from this today. And you, as you say, you can wear your jersey, you can don some red clothing or accessories, just redden yourself up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In- <laughs> yeah, it's true. And if you're around town, you can call the Clancy's there and they're, they're, they're all... Go right there along Princess Street today. There's a lot of activity there, and um, the menus are all <laughs> dressed up in red and white. And there's different, uh, uh, 
I suppose, menus there in terms of uh, back in 1990 and different um, appetizers and main courses and stuff like that as well. So if you're around there and you want to drop in and you can make a donation as well there, that's fantastic as well. But as I say, um, look, we're 30 years on. We're kind of, <laughs> we're back a long time ago. We're probably, hopefully, we're looking to the future as we're well. We're all yesterday's men, Tomas. We're all we're yesterday's men. They call it has been No, no, I wouldn't look, say that yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but look, it, it's fantastic to, to be remembered. And look, we're kind of reminiscing there for the last couple of days and we're seeing photographs and they're bringing back a lot of memories. And look, it's it's a big boost for us as former players as well, to be honest with you, you know. And like somebody said, wouldn't it be fantastic we have an intercounty championship coming up shortly uh, in terms of the curlers and footballers. And wouldn't it be fantastic maybe the, the week of Christmas at around Patrick Street, we could, we could see those two cups again. Oh, fantastic. You, uh, you remember visiting the triplets, Larry, Dennis and Tomas. I don't, Tell I don't, us all about that. Oh, that was incredible, yeah. Um, in the younger days, in the younger days, I suppose, um, when you were first getting out and maybe to sample a point, um, my, my haunt was to go to counties and in counties inside in town and in behind counties the famous barman that was there was Pat right you know so Pat was an avid GA man a great follower and um, when triplets arrived uh, Pat was on to us he said God you've got to come up and you've got to bring the cups and we did in fairness and uh, it was he says I want to name the three lads after yourselves Larry and uh, Dennis Allen Dinny Allen because Dinny had captained the car team in the football in 1989 the previous year so we arrived duly up to uh, St. Finbar's Hospital and the triplets were put into the two cups and many photographs were taken. So I, it was an incredible picture when I saw it on the Echo. echo front, front, of the, front page of the Echo this evening. It's, it's echo, out right now, actually. Evening, right, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic clip, but to see the lads 30 years later, absolutely brilliant. And look, that describes Cork in itself, right? Mad sporting city, mad sporting capital in terms of the GA and all sporting, uh, all sports really, being honest with you. And look, yeah, if, 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 if that can get people, encourage people to, to make that donation today, that would help enormously. Okay, Fitzpatrick's shop has gone red for Cork with red velvet Cork-themed cupcakes for sale for three <laughs> euros. each. all money donated uh, to uh, Marymount. And I know you can't see this, but there's fabulous stickers on them. There's a star and it says, keep calm, I'm from Cork. Yes, and I, I just happened to pick up two cups there from uh, Teddy McCarthy. He was down in Brooklash School in Glamour early this morning with John Considine. That was their 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 school from from early early days, and the place was chock a block with kids in red and white jerseys. And I'm sure it's the same all over the county, and we, that's fantastic to see as well. Fantastic. Okay, and not not many people may remember this because you know the, the, the runners up are often forgotten in history. But Cork beat Meath in the football and Galway in the hurling. Yes. Yes, and look, I suppose when you're playing, it's the greatest rivalry. And look, we've we've had unbelievable battles with Galway, and the footballers were saying exactly the same. Mead were their greatest greatest rivals at the time as well, and some serious, serious on-field battles. Um, but when you finish, the one good thing about the Jays, you become a, you become great friends afterwards, and you meet on a regular basis. And um, I, I, I'm sure I'm, I, I'm saying the same with the footballers. They've got a great relationship with a lot of the boys that have played against the Mead and they've supported them with events down here in the past. And the same with myself and uh, other guys uh, in our team uh, with Galway as well. We meet them on a regular basis. And uh, look, yeah, we, 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 we talk about 1990 and other games, but look, I suppose it was special because it was a double. I mean, there's a lot of other Cork teams out there, one on Ireland as well, and they, they take great credit as well and deserve a lot of credit as well. And the team that I had, we played with in 1990 were just special. And I have to mention the two guys, uh, Cameron O'Brien, he was a special man, and Gerald McCarthy, who was the coach. I mean, they were brilliant people and to do what they did for us in 1990 was just incredible. And as a team, 
we just we just love them to bits to be honest with you mm. what they did for us Dennis Walsh of St. Catharines has been mooted here Tomas has also having won the double that year or, or lifted both cups uh, and played on both teams do you know that's is that true? I, that is true that is true okay yeah. happy, yeah, to, happy very, to clarify because yeah. we were unsure you know yeah, no, no, that that is very true. Um, uh, it didn't go right for Dennis on All Ireland final day, but he was part of Cork football. I played a lot of football that year, and uh, he did get his uh, All Ireland medal. So, um, yeah, he was part of the double, no doubt. And Dennis was a fantastic player, great ambassador for Cork hurling and football as well. Are you guys missing a bit of a run out in Croke Park now? As you know, the glory double, uh, you know, the two teams running out. Ah, uh, look, um, no, I suppose we we had our day back in twenty five twenty five years that you get that you get that accolade twenty five years. Look, this is thirty years on, and um, we probably wouldn't have been remembered to be honest with you only for the likes of Conor Callan, uh, Derek McCarthy, and James O'Connor. I mean, I think great initiative by these guys um, to just think about what went on back then uh, and to maybe bring it forward thirty years on, and just to bring the charity element into a place and. I think the big thing for us is Marymount Hospice. It's our, it's on our own doorstep. It's it's our own it's our own uh, hospice. It's it's treated so many people, obviously around the country from Munster, but particularly around Cork. It do a great service for everybody, and everybody has been touched by cancer in some way. And look, I mean, we've seen kind of the late show over the over the last number of months with pandemic and the contributions that were being made live on a on a given Friday night and kind of. We need to go. We need to go to another level. I think with Marymount, get the Cork people behind it. And I know the Cork support is absolutely massive out there, and there's a lot of activity going on all over the county today. Mm-hmm. So, and, to and us, so to Marymount te- appreciate that. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little about the adrenaline rush, the kind of Beatlemania that Cork GAA supporters can afford their homecoming conquering heroes. Uh, it's 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 incredible because you know like. When 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 you go into the as a player, you're probably going into the bubble and stuff like that. But guys in Cork used to plan their holidays around the G activity. They used to take their summer holidays, thinking that they were going to be in Crow Park in September. So they'd, they'd go there, go go to Dublin early, maybe stay one or two days later than, than usual. Whether it's going to Killarney, book into Killarney early, go to Turles and. Um, I know this for a fact. I mean, the Dublin people love to see the Cork supporters travelling because. There's not a county out there that would take thirty to thirty-five thousand or forty thousand people to Dublin on a given weekend and spend everything that they had in their pockets in terms of supporting the team, having a bit of crack, spending on food and stuff like that as well. And they love to see the Cork brand coming, and uh, we, we all look forward to seeing days like that again. Unfortunately, where we're at the moment, we're not too sure where it's going to be at. But like the support for Cork is just massive, and the GA need Cork success and we need it as well I think the time is now beginning to come right for us I think where we can deliver silverware again I think that's the important thing because Cork tradition and Cork supporters love all Ireland final day love Munster final day versus Turles or Killarney or Limerick they love that day out and uh, hopefully we can see those days again Would you think you'd see 70,000 fans again if you were to uh, reach the pinnacle? Um, on the mall I mean On, on the mall um I think, yeah. I mean, I think you would. I think we're starved of success. I think, um, like, we were kind of, you playing with Cork, you were kind of expecting every 10 years there might be two or three All-Irelands thrown in there. We've gone past that day at this stage. So, yeah, there is a hunger there. There is there is um, an appetite for us to get Sam or to get Liam McCarthy back again. And uh, hopefully well, It won't be like the Eurovision, no? <laughs> no, it won't be like the Eurovision. No, 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 no. I'm confident of that, mate. Okay, that. just give us a final roundup, uh, Tomas, if you would, of where people can go to donate ultimately to Marymount Hospice and how they can do it. Yeah, look, I mean, again, you can text Marymount to five zero three zero zero and make your donation, or you can go on the uh, uh, 
on the Marymount website and they will give you all the details if you want to give uh, something more more sizable than the four euros that'll that's the text message will take the four euro side of things if you want to give a bigger contribution you can go on the Marymount website and uh, we appreciate everybody's help I think it's going great um, lots of excitement all over this morning I must say as players and former players we are really really taken back by this but we're just glad to be, give our part dress in red today and um, give our support to Marymount a great pundit you are Tomás great spokesman for, for Cork GEA what, what are you doing these days still in financial circles or what? yeah look do a small bit on the mediation side of it do a bit of PR work and um, yeah keep, keep my hand trying to diversify it's challenging times out there for everybody so you can't sit still. You've got to go with the times and, and, and reinvent the wheel when it, when it needs to happen as well. And one final question. Have, have any of the uh, of the two teams passed on to their greater reward? Yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, John Cairns, who was the goalkeeper back in 1990, um, he, he, he passed away uh, a good number of years ago. So we remember him today. Mick McCarthy, uh, corner forward again um, with, with the Cork football team as well. Um, we've recently, you know, we remember Kieran O'Connor from Ahada who passed away as well. Very recently, um, yeah. Yeah, very recently and suffered for cancer for a number of years. Uh, and and um, again, we look at our, our, our main man, our coach, Cameron O'Brien as well. I think um, he was a legendary figure, um, whether it was a, a club hurling, colleges hurling or cork hurling, um, his memory was stand still as well mm-hmm. and stand tall as well, right? So we remember all those people and many great GA people that are on there uh, over the years that have passed away. It's only right and fitting that we remember them too uh, on this day as we support and raise funds for the great cause that is Merriman Hospice. Tomás Mulcahy, conquering hero of 1990. Thank you very much for coming on the Neil Prenderville Show this morning. Thanks very much, Mick, for having me. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. It's 21 minutes past 11 and we've been sent in a glass, a picture of a glass uh, that somebody came across recently from 1990 from the hurling win and it says Up the Rebels. And uh, it seems like it's a Texaco glass, but it says All Ireland Senior Hurling Champions 27 times, 1890 to 1990. And that's probably a rarity now if it's around as well. And we're getting lots of calls and texts. Uh, to see the famous shirt that Brenda's wearing today, courtesy of Suits Distributors, and wondering, can we put it up on our Facebook page or Twitter page? Uh, the bold Brenda uh, sporting the cork double shirt, the official shirt from uh, Suits Distributors, and we'll be giving away three of those towards the end of the programme, so don't call now. Uh, thank you very much for that. Now, a cork vet uh, is, has turned into a bit of a hero because the cork vet operated on a person's, a young boy's best friend, called Rico. And uh, let's talk about that now to Neve Casey of Gilabi Vets. Good morning, Neve. Hi, Mick. How are you? No, I'm great. This is a, such a wonderful story now, and uh, people need good stories because there's enough of the bad stuff going around, okay? So, Gilabi Vets have been called true heroes. Uh, we got a message from our listener, Laura, to the show about how a wonderful cork vet, yourselves, uh, saved, or probably you in particular, saved her son's dog's life. Uh, now, I would imagine that's something that vets do every day, uh, you know, as part of, of, of what they do. So tell us the story. So Rico, uh, a beautiful little Shih Tzu cross, he presented to our emergency service last Thursday, having been hit by a car. He had sustained injuries to his chest and pelvis and he required two surgeries. One was to correct, he had a life-threatening diaphragmatic hernia and that's a tear in the diaphragm resulting in herniation of his stomach and his liver into his chest. And his right hip was also dislocated, which required surgical management as well once he was stable. So Laura, the owner, she was understandably very upset and 
Teddy, a good friend of hers, um, I was in touch with him over the phone and he informed, informed me that they, they couldn't go ahead with the surgery. So when we encounter these situations, you know, we always try and put the patient's welfare first. Rico, he was a young dog. He was only three years old and he was an otherwise very healthy dog. He played a big role in supporting little Stephen as well as he had a, he has a, a medical condition and Stephen has needed their support from Rico. Yeah, let's just, I want to just delve into the the mum's story here. She says, bear in mind, this dog was my son's bestest friend. Rico was brought into baby Stephen's life when my son was so sick and he had repeated seizures due to, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Melaghetes. Rico, the dog, helped to nurse him back to health and he sleeps with Stephen. And we have a picture of that. A very young boy sleeping next to his bestest, bestest friends, almost like a, a, a young child would with a teddy. He does everything with him. It's true to say that a dog is a man's best friend. Now, the bill, the standard bill for this operation, uh, to even attempt to save the dog's life, would have been quite extensive, wouldn't it? With two surgeries and the hospitalisation fees, yeah, it would have been. But um, I suppose we're, we're very lucky here in Galabi that we were able to give something back to the community. And we're very thankful to all our clients out there who support us. Okay, so the mum is in a situation, she's absolutely heartbroken. Uh, the bill is €2,500 for the operation, so she didn't have that money to spare uh, to save the dog. And was absolutely devastated and heartbroken to have to put him down. So how was she going to tell Stephen that his best friend Rico was gone to doggy heaven? And that's where you guys intervened. Yeah, so, you know, when he came in, you know, it's it's nice to be able to, to do a good deed. You know, it happens a lot across the profession and not just in, in Galabi. You know, the veterinary world can be a demanding one, but pets are a huge part of the family. And, you know, it was just lovely that we could afford to go with that extra mile and do our bit for Rico. And how long did the surgeries take? And the first surgery in theatre took, I think, about an hour and a half. The second surgery then a little bit longer, um, maybe two hours, two and a half hours. Um, but that is just the surgery time. And then there's the time involved in getting the patient into surgery and the post-operative care. And actually on that note, I just want to mention that there's no way I could have done it without you know our surgical specialist, Kieran Jones, and the amazing nurses here. So we have Louise Beamish and Bronwyn Jeffries. They monitored a very challenging anaesthetic and they managed his pain relief. He had a chest drain placed post-operatively and they looked after him all throughout the, the weekend as well. So, you know, it certainly is a team effort that everyone is involved in it. And just want to thank the whole the whole gang here in Galapi. Oh, no, no, no wonder it's so expensive. That, that sounds like the top, top level of care that you could give a human being, not to mind an animal. Yeah, yeah, it is. There, well, yeah, dogs. They're they're very much part of the family mm-hmm. now. So, anyway, um, what 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 the mom is saying here is, is that because you were willing to do the operation free of charge, and I'm very aware now that there's five or six people involved, that they gave their expertise, their qualifications, their time, their weekend uh, to this whole endeavour, uh, and waived what would have been a very expensive operation. I still can't believe the generosity and how someone we don't even know was willing to do this. I can never thank uh, thank them enough. It just goes to show there are good people still in this world. We will be forever grateful and Rico is in recovery and doing well. The story of a little boy and his dog continues uh, all down to Neve Casey and her compatriots in Gilabi Vets. And that's from Laura, uh, Stephen's mum. 
that's yeah, that's just fantastic. And we're just delighted, you know, we're so happy that he's making such an excellent recovery and you should have seen him this morning when Stephen came in. He was just thrilled to, to meet his best pal and Stephen was so excited. So it is lovely to be able to give back to the community. So we're we're glad that we could help out in this situation. Fantastic. How long will the recovery take? Um, I would say hopefully Two weeks. In two weeks, will he'll be back then to get his sutures out. Or two weeks, and at that point, it will be you know a longer process trying to build up the muscle. He has some muscle loss on that right side, so he will have to undergo a little bit of gentle exercise at home for the next four weeks. But I would say, you know, four weeks time, he will be back to completely normal. Doug. Well, I'm sure as he was in the very best of hands in Galabi Vets, he'll be in the very best of loving hands uh, at home as well to, to bring him back on the road to a full recovery. Thanks a million. Neve Casey, take a bow. Uh, a good news story when we all need one in Galabi Vets. Uh, and the very best wishes to you and all your team. Perfect. Thanks, Mick. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. What a Thank lovely you. what a lovely story. Uh, all costs waived in the uh, greater good uh, in the interest of a young boy who was about to lose his best friend. Isn't that lovely? Uh, now then, if you want to get in touch with the program, please do. one 850 uh, You can call us. Uh, you can text 086-8104-106 and email neil at redfm.ie. To matters uh, of a different nature now, and Stephen is on line four. Hiya, Stephen. Good morning, Mick. How are things? I'm very good. Now, tell us about the snooker queue. Well, this morning, I, I dropped my son up today at quarter five, and um, he was on the half six flight. We were running up to a standstill, so the flight was roughly an hour. An hour so, okay, this is Aaron Hill who created a piece of European snooker history at the Salgado Palace Hotel in Albufeira, Portugal. Uh, he is a very talented young snooker player. Uh, he won the European Under Twenty One Snooker Championship, uh, and is heading out to do some more. He's telling this is the eve of his world snooker profession as a professional. Okay, that's Milton Keynes, isn't it? Yeah, he's in Milton Keynes tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And um, that's the Oris Christian Tour, and he, he's, he's on at 11 o'clock, but it's on Matchroom Live. Okay, but, and that's, um, that's a world-ranking tournament. Oh, that's a world-ranking tournament, then, yeah, that's right, yeah. And um, next next Tuesday at 7 o'clock, he's on the Eurosport. That's another world-ranking tournament. So he has main tournaments now between now and Christmas. So hopefully with a bit of Irish luck... He can get a few wins under under, under his belt and stuck in okay. the Now it's not as if a snooker player, as good as they might be, can pick up any old cue at all and go to work, is it? So tell us what happened with the cue, and I know there's a happy ending, but tell us from the start. Aaron was flying out this morning to Stansted from Cocky Airport, and when he got to, when he when he got to um, Stansted, his cue wasn't there. So he was he was asking he was asking the officers where was my cue, and they were looking at him stupid. So then they got onto Cockley Airport, and Cockley Airport said they sent it out, but the guys, the handlers over there, says it wasn't in the hall in the plane. Is a queue not so, something you can bring on board? No, you can't bring it on board. It's just classed as a weapon. Classed as a weapon, okay. So um, I went up to the airport a while ago, and in fairness to Brian, uh, the manager there of uh, Ryanair, he he uh, he got off me. He said it came back in the, the plane. They, they, they didn't they didn't see it when they okay, were like, so it, it was kind of it's small enough that you might miss it then oh it's small enough yeah, it is, yeah. so it but came then, back and w- when when is is that plane scheduled again to go back round to Stansted in the morning at half six and is that good enough will he, will he make it in time I suppose it will will it he, he won't he won't because he's old Milton Keynes he's too old away and by the time he gets in the morning get back 
he won't have time to practice because he's on 11 o'clock. Right, so this might affect his uh, his global ambitions. Um, but you're very happy with what happened, that's whatever happened on the plane and someone genuinely missed it. At least it's been found because that's like uh, for a snooker player uh, losing a finger, losing an arm, isn't it? At least it's been found and we're, we're grateful for that. I had it in my hand and even the wife was panicking and my daughter, we tried everything, phoning this morning and but my wife was willing to get on to half past 12 flight with Aer Lingus to Heathrow. So, thank God, there was some cancellation with Aer Lingus and they took my sons too. So, okay. my, my, my son, as we speak, now my son is on the way from Stansted to Heathrow. All right, that's a, that's a traumatic little interlude, I guess, for him. I hope it doesn't affect him mentally and, and his preparations as, as he's going into a big day tomorrow. Oh, unbelievable. You, 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 can, you can't imagine the stress I was under there a while ago. And, um, but he's relieved anyway, yeah? Oh, he's relieved. It's just unbelievable. He's uh, on the phone while he goes. If anybody's going to get it, it'll be dead. But we're just thrilled to be there. Look, it's underway, Michael. I just hope it doesn't go last again now. Okay. What, what's it like being the, the father of, of somebody who's going to be mixing it up with the big boys next week now? It's going to be a fully-fledged professional player. Oh, well, I'm getting used to it. No, I've already seen that he's taking people are standing for four rests and all of and four of them already. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just an unbelievable feeling and it, it's an emotional feeling as well, you know. Yeah. Just, a lot of people comes up and says to me, look, you must be su- such a proud family. How long is he at it? How long is he doing it? He's at a four years. Is that all? And he, he, he's, he's three times European champion. Last year out in Israel, in Israel he, he won the European on the 18. And this year he defends his title and three, day, three days later, he won the European under-21s to make him a professional. Wow. That's, that's so, amazing at such a tender young age. It, it, I guess it's, there's a good living in that if, if you can do well and stay in the rankings, yeah? Oh, it is, oh, it is an unbelievable living. It's just, you know, look at whatever happens. If it happens, it happens, look. And, but, um, oh, if you make it, it's frightening. I guess it's, good, it's good life. And yeah. people, people can see it again on what channel? Well, it's, it, it, you, you have to go on to you... Uh, you uh, what uh, Google tomorrow and then put in Matchroom Live. Matchroom Live on Google. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Perfect. Listen, okay, we, we we wish him all the best. It's it's a game I love watching. Useless at playing, but it's a great game to watch. It's so relaxing and so technical. And and he thirteen one four sevens. Thirteen already. Thirteen already and counted. And that's against the guy you know. And what's his fastest? His fastest. Well, he's the fastest on over. I never timed him. Okay. So. Uh, so um. So he'll, no, be up, he, he'll be up there at the five and a half minutes at some stage with, with, with the great Ronnie, Ronnie, Yeah, he will, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if he wins, if he wins, if he wins Tuesday night against Andy Hicks, he's playing Ronnie in the second round. <laughs> oh, wow, that'll be but worth that'll watching. Be that'll be interesting. Yeah. Aaron Hill yeah. from Cork, we wish him all the best. Stephen, his dad, thank you very much. All's well that ends well with the queue, albeit a day late. Thanks a million, Rick. Thanks a million. All the best. And we yeah, wish him all the very best tomorrow. The Lost Snooky Queue had an update on it. They found the queue a few minutes ago, uh, and it's on its way, albeit a little late, to London and into the hands of uh, Aaron Hill. Uh, now we're going to take a short break, and we're back with a new topic. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 22 minutes to 12. Good morning to you from the Neil Prendival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy, and good morning to John Morgan. Hiya, John. Hi, how are you, Mick? I'm good. Now, we've been talking over the last few days about dying with dignity, and you have a poem that was written out of grief about your first cousin, Sean Ahern. Tell us about Sean. 
Well, Sean was, um, he was my cousin, as you said, but he was also a great friend of mine. And Sean was from Black Rock and I was from Lachnini. And we spent many, I'd, like many summers together. We, I'd go down to his house and we'd play football down there, hurling. He'd come up to my house. We'd do all the usual things. But I suppose the key to this for me was that, unfortunately, when my dad died when I was 11, and I also lost another family member the same day because... He was in his 80s and he lived with us throughout our lives. I suppose grief hit me then. And being so young, Mick, I didn't really know what grief was. And for me, it was a combination of anger, loneliness, confusion, and all, all that, uh, all them emotions. And the one person, Sean Horn, even though he was only 18 months older than me, he encouraged me with everything. And he, like, he never pushed me, but he encouraged me all my life. And through the teenage years, like... I went to matches with him. He was the first person to bring me out of the country. He just, everything. I, I walked him. The first job I got when I finished school at 17, I don't know if you remember, it was Hobbs Menswear. It was in Patrick Street. I do. And yeah, Sean actually got me the job in there. And I was walking with him. I know, Mick, I was very introverted at the time and still trying to come out of myself and deal with my emotions. Because back then, you see, in the 80s, and early 90s, there, there was kind of no counselling or anything like that. So I always remember one particular incident in the shop. No, it's only something small. But I remember I was only walking there at the time a couple of weeks. And we, we were with the group now and we were talking and messing or whatever. And I noticed they were all laughing and everything. And I said to Sean later, I said, Sean, I think they were all laughing at me. And he goes, John, he says, no. He said, they were all laughing because they found you funny. They found you very witty. And this is my mentality, you know, at the time of 17, I goes, Sean, what do you mean by witty? He said, John, that's funny. He says, they like you, relax. <laughs> and he, he did, and he had a smile on his face, and he just walked away. And it was all those little bits of encouragement throughout the years that just inspired me. And They kind of all added up. Was, Sean was fit, it, fit and healthy. And was taken from the world very quickly. He only just turned 47 a few days beforehand. And the thing about it is he was, he was an athlete. He was a supreme athlete. He played with Avondale Football Club for years. He used to do marathons. He was into fitness big time. And this was the shock for absolutely everyone. His family, myself, all my family, his friends. We just couldn't believe it. And I was speaking to James Toomey only on Thursday, and because I do a bit of writing on the boys and girls of Knocker Page, I asked him, what would he think if I wrote something about grief? But I said, James, I don't want to upset anyone. And he says, he says, John, speak from the heart. And he says, not only will you not upset anyone, but he says, you will, you will comfort people, you will help people. Because I told him, it's, it's a bit of a delicate subject, mm -hmm. and I wanted to get it right. And he said, no, sit down, John. And he said, it'll come out and it'll flow. And that's exactly what I did. And it got fair recognition on the page. And, you know, it's 18 months now on the 19th of this month since he passed away. And as I said, there was 18 months of a difference between us. So we're exactly the same age now. Yeah. And I just felt I want to do something to honour his memory and the fabulous guy he was because he was so humble as well, Mick, behind it all. Like, he didn't want compliments, and he was a man's man, and he was the type of fella that you, like, you, you couldn't tell him you loved him, because he he just wasn't, do you know what I mean? He was just so humble. It's, it's, it's there, it's understood, but it's unwritten. 
Exactly. It's unexpressed, exactly. really. And, you know, but it's expressed it's in many other ways, except, except vocally. Exactly. That's, that's a very good way of putting it. And I just felt if I could get something down here, just to honour what he meant to me, and still does mean to me, because, look, I miss him every day. I wish he was here. But that's not the case. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we can't, we can't forget him. And it's, it's something different. Like, with, with the little bit of writing that I do, I never tried anything kind of like this. And that's why I said, look, if I could put it down. But James said, he said, I'm telling you, he said, it'll flow. And I was actually overwhelmed by the response I got because even there like on Saturday night, I was getting private messages from people that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. that were reaching out, just telling me that the poem was beautiful and thanks for sharing it. And, you know, it made me feel good then that the plan I had, it, it hit home and, you know, there was, it was just, it's, it's still overwhelming really, to be mm-hmm. honest. Sean, he collapsed at work from a brain tumour uh, and he died did. soon he after. Uh, are, you com- are you comfortable reading the, reading the poem for us? Oh, can I read it out there? It's can called I? Apart. Yeah, let me just in- introduce it by what you wrote last, okay? I would like to dedicate this poem to my cousin who showed me how to stand tall when I believed I could not stand at all. So truly, truly missed, Sean Ahern. This is Apart by its writer, John Morgan. We all experience grief. Unfortunately, it's life's greatest teeth. It can catch you out of the blue, unknowingly doing this to you. Grief has the power of paralyzing you from the toes to the head even rendering you to the bed. Sometimes grief can be seen all over a person's face, while others suffer in silence as if leaving no trace. Some are unable to cry because of the shock they absorb, while others find solace turning to our Lord. Many have deep emotions that they are unable to explain. Always remember a person lost is so much more than a name. We can feel angry, depressed, lonely and confused, none of which we freely choose. Grief is felt by all, whether you are short or tall. No matter your colour or creed, grief breaks your heart and makes it bleed. Tears are a symbol of our love to our lost ones above. Others experience grief for years, never letting us see their tears. Grief does not discriminate and has no concept of the word weight. Sometimes we ask, why do so many around us not feel our sorrow as day by day we struggle for a better tomorrow? We try to cope and carry on. But remember, there is no shame in breaking down if we hear their favourite song. Behind it all, the human being is very resilient. People can help you and be truly brilliant. A friend, relative or child has the power to keep you alive. We must live in the moment and all the joy that is out there. For life's beauty has so much to offer and share. Life moves on and with it, passion, joy, fun and laughter does return. That in time is what I did learn. I will always miss you, and you are forever in my heart, so no grief can ever keep us apart. Fantastic. The poem is called Apart. It's writer John Morgan in memory of uh, Sean O'Hearn. You read that with a little spring in your step. Can I say that? You weren't reading it sadly. Almost like a celebration of Sean's life. Exactly, because it took me, as I said, 18 months like no, I never tried to write it, but it was eighteen months in the making, and as you said, it's a celebration of his life and the memories we had because we had fantastic times. And with grief, I think you must try and come out of it and remember, you know, the person and the great times. Because if you remember the sorrow, 
I feel you never recover. So, like, I'm so proud to have written this for Sean and to be able to call it out on air. It's, it, it is a huge moment of, of joy for me, Mick. Okay, it's our pleasure to allow you to do it and it, I, I think it'll help people as well. Can I ask, and I know it's a kind of a personal, invasive question, did you cry when you were writing it? I did, yes, I did. And I cried for the first few lines because it brought back the memories. And there's another, I suppose, part of crying as well. If you look, now I know the the listeners can't see it, but there's a photograph of Sean, right? And James Toomey, um, he put effects to to the photo, like, and he sent it to me. And when I saw that, there was tears in my eyes, Mick, Uh because it, it couldn't have been better, the picture. And, you know, but the further I got onto the poem, then I I was fine. And, you know, I got there. And like you said, it's it's a celebration of his life. And it's just something that I so had to do. And I'm delighted that I did it because he was one of the best people in my life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't thank him enough. Well, you've, you've done you've done remarkably well. In, in your tribute live on air to thousands and thousands of people who are listening. So well done to you, John. Uh, is there a place where people can access, maybe a look at the photograph and get a look at the poem again and read it themselves? Yes, the, the whole poem and the photograph is up on James Soomby's Boys and Girls of Knocker page. Boys and uh, Girls of Knocker? Of Knocker page. They can go in that any time and, and it's up there. It okay. John, thanks a million for doing it so well. And well Thank done you. on writing a fabulous poem on the topic of grief. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Now, by email, hi Mick, I feel I have to write to tell you about the turbulent weekend my Leaving Cert son has had. Firstly, he did a great job in getting 397 points. We were so proud and delighted with him uh, and for him. He was delighted with that and celebrated his results with his friends like everybody else. On Friday the 11th, it all went wrong. 2pm came and when he went to check his CAO offers, he was told there was no offers and his first choice had gone to 419, so he was short 22 points. His second choice was 300, so he was well above that. He spent the whole weekend thinking and worrying what had gone wrong and had to wait until 9am today, Monday, to see what had happened. The minute the phone lines opened at 9.30, he phoned and got straight through and explained his predicament to be told he never did his leaving cert. He went pale at the thought of this. He told them he did it and had results to prove it. Uh... He he was told he'd have to submit an email stating his name, exam number and CAO number to which he did. Uh, And after that, he received an email back saying this would be submitted and he'd be considered in the next round of offers. I'm horrified to think he could be treated like this. Not even an apology. He still has missed the first round offers and he was not confirmed, but he can't be fully sure he'll be in the next round. I'm at a loss here and I'm frustrated for him as well. Thank God he's a laid-back person or things could be a lot worse. Who the hell has made this error? Now, to really add soul to the wounds, he got his teacher grades this morning to see the Department of Education docked him 11 marks for Irish. We live in the Gaeltacht, so they must have decided to dock him because of this. So his extra hard work was taken as well. I'd love to know if this has happened to any other listener, as if the class of 2020... Has, uh, hasn't been through enough. From a letdown, frustrated mum, hoping and praying he'll be considered for the next round. Hope to hear from anyone in the same, same situation with a little bit of advice. Please keep my name off the air as I wish to remain anonymous. Thankfully, we'll do that. 
uh, and thank you for that letter. Just a couple of texts before we go to uh, our next call on the subject of ban women from wet pubs. Farcical idea, really. Uh, but it's out there. We've got a huge reaction to it. 2020 has been bad, but we don't need to undo the work of the suffragettes just yet. Lauren said, my blood pressure has rocketed looking at this text. Where is Padder's local? Because I would love to take up some space in it. And Kev says, my local in Scotland was a men's only pub. It was great crack until the women were allowed in in their fancy glasses and flowery perfumes. Uh, and finally, Joan says, maybe there should be uh, women only allowed in pubs and let the men do the chores that the women usually do. The uh, debate continues mostly on social media and on text. Now, let's go to line two and to Seamus. Morning, Seamus. Good morning, Mick. We're back to the government, are we? Back to the government. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we've started, so we'll finish. What would you like to hear? Uh, no, you're, you're kind of saying, why can't we just ask questions and decide for ourselves? I, I think we're, what we're really looking at now is we're inexorably moving towards personal responsibility. Uh, you know, that we should be allowed, maybe not even to have to book a table to walk into a, a place to have a bite to eat and or uh, maybe just a drink on its own. We're moving towards collective responsibility, but the overregulation seems to be really peeing people off when it comes to compliance. Yeah, it's it's just stifling. I mean, it doesn't really serve its purpose now at this point. I think the, the gates need to open up. Things need to get back to normal. The government have to do their part of the bargain, which is uh, demonstrate a little bit more trust in the public who've worked really hard to kind of, you know, mitigate the number of cases. And, and the bulk of, you know, like it's, there's a lot of sensationalism in the, in the news and it's, it's, you know, pushed through predominantly by uh, the uh, RTE as well. In line with what the government narrative is, but like you know, they they always uh, go on and harp on about the you know the the, the the various different cases, you know, clusters of people having parties or whatever it may be. But ninety nine percent of the people aren't doing that. Yeah, I, I always wondered, you know, if, if people were being a bit sensationalist when when they said that RTE was being kind oh, of completely kind of completely. muzzled by, I mean, by, by by the powers that be until uh, I saw that great public servant Tony Holohan appear on the Late Late Show. Every single front page of every newspaper in the country was screaming out, why did 1,500 uh, foreign nationals land in this country to pick strawberries? And it was the one question Ryan Tuberty didn't ask him. Didn't ask him. Sure. He, see, Ryan Tuberty is a member of um, one of these political parties. As is his own. Ah, well, that's, uh, that, that's, that's everybody's right. Uh, you know, you have to be no, impartial when, you, when you're doing a job like this. That doesn't preclude me or Ryan Tuberty from joining a political party, believe me. Well, you know, at least all the private radio stations out there are actually asking the correct questions, asking the right questions, or allowing those questions to be asked, because they're certainly not being asked by RT. RT is equivalent to, I suppose, North Korean-style TV, where they, <laughs> they go with the narrative, and if you disagree, you're, you're, you're run off the air. You had a caller earlier on, I think, this morning, and um, Michael Collins uh, from uh, the West Cork TV as well, who, who was also on... Uh, a good number of months back before the, the the election campaign was on and he was asking that question as to why the government were allowing mass immigration of um of uh, uh refugees and and just putting them up in pumping you know using 70 million per year i think it was and and state funds to the house um the the um uh, the direct provision centers well, we're not really looking at our own people, you know. And he was, you know, branded by other members of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the, the panel on, on TV and RT as a, some sort of racist when he wasn't. He was asking the questions that everybody asks. But yeah. um, again, it's, it's, it's just the narrative. The narrative was really just ruining 
Yeah, the, the narrative um, has got very confused and very muddy yesterday. You're also uh, of the opinion that masks don't uh, prevent the spread of the virus. They, or they do. Well, don't quote me completely, but they, there is no one thing that's a fact is there's no scientific proof that shows not one doctor, not one scientist that stepped out and proven that they actually um, uh, 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 completely mitigate or prevent the spread of the virus. I mean, uh, you know, the, the government haven't come out. They've spent something like 50 million, is it, or thereabouts, on, uh, on uh, advisors to tell them what to say and what to do. And that doesn't seem to be working out very well. It's not so working out very well at all. Money money. I, I'm, I'm going to finish up with something you might find very funny, right? Yesterday evening... <laughs> Uh, around social media, this became so viral that it was actually being restricted by the social media companies and the number of people you could spread it to, right? It's somebody putting uh, words in Stephen Donnelly's mouth, okay? I have, I, I know the, the levels. <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to play it. Thanks a million, Seamus. It sums it up. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. And this is what went around social media yesterday, almost lip-synced perfectly with Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health. So what Level 2 says is that if Level 1 and Level 3 are different levels... Um, you get a level 5 divisible by the level 1 minus the level 2 that I had previously mentioned. Now, if you get a spirit level from the boy band another level and use it for the entirety of level 3 in Super Mario Brothers 2 uh, with a level head, you will see a level of levels dishevelled by both Gary and Phil Neville. It's funny, but it would be hilarious if it wasn't tackling so serious a subject. We need proper and coherent and lucid communication from here on forward. I've been saying it for weeks. Let's hope it is there for us in the future. Finally, let's communicate with a GAA fan. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good. In the time we have, about a minute, uh, what's your standout memory of the night when the two teams were on the stage with the Cups 30 years ago? It was a quote by Bishop Buckley on the night when he addressed the crowd and he said, I won't keep you long. Um... But there are two types of people in Ireland today, or tonight. There are those that are from Cork, and there are those that wish they were from Cork. <laughs> and the crowd went ballistic. Well, he's a, lov- a lovely man, Bishop Buckley. Uh, we have some great memories of the guy and the, and the score of bells and, and the whole thing. That was a special night. 70,000 people going wild for a bishop. Will, you, will we ever see it again? Well, I would hope so, Michael. Like, we have the playing pool. Um, Cork always remind me of uh, sitting at a, um, a card table for a game of niner but we actually have 13 cards but we still can't make a, a decent hand out of it you know it's just to get it together Bobby the Rebels are boo always I want to give away some some Rebel shirts now thanks a million for your call uh, the good people at Suits Distributors have given us three shirts to give away they're the, they're the official shirts uh, to commemorate the double on this special day so uh, we'll take callers 9, 10 and 11 on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. if you want to buy one you can do so at Suits Distributors just across from Musgraves uh, near the Bull McCabe's there you'll find Dave O'Connor and his crew and 100% of what you pay for the shirt 100% will go to Marymount Hospice. My thanks to the great production crew, to Brenda Dennehy, uh, to Mark Willington, to Seamus uh, Wheelahan, and to Emma Mills. And we are back tomorrow, just after nine, on the Neil Prendival Show. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.